All right, thanks for listening to the My Age podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a map from their early years to how they got to where they are now. Uh, if you listen to this on the day it was released, in Australia at least, anyhow, um, I hope you'll stand with me when I say a big fuck you to winter for another year. Um, be gone, evil season. It's the worst. Um, and if you're not listening to it on this the day it was released, then uh, look, I hope it's not winter where you are because, again, it's the fucking worst. Um, so welcome listeners, new and old. If it's your first time, then welcome. Um, and if it's, if you, if it's your 20 something time, I'm not sure what episode this is, I should confirm that, uh, then welcome back. Welcome back. Really appreciated. Um, today's episodes, today's episode is actually a perfect reflection of its, of its guest. Um, it's a bit chaotic. It's a bit all over the place and it's definitely not the standard structure of a normal my age podcast, but it's chock full of fantastic stories and it's got a hell of a playlist. Uh, the guest on the episode today, as you would have seen, is James Straker. And dare I be so bold to say uh, he's a Brisbane and of, and even an Australian icon in punk rock. If you, you know, if you if you're Australian and you you're into punk rock, you probably know of or know James. Um, yeah, he's he's just that guy. He's a fantastic human. Um, to say he's done a few cool things in his life is definitely an understatement um and instead of me rattling off a list of things he's done just listen get comfy because it's a long episode um hope you enjoy it obviously uh before we start a quick shout out to anyone who donated a dollar for the last few episodes it means a hell of a lot to me um and if you think this if you think this episode's cool and you know you dig what i'm doing and it's worth a dollar then go to paypal.me slash myagepodcast and it goes towards helping me cover the costs uh, to keeping this ship afloat. Remember, it's always appreciated but never expected. But, you know, if you think it's worth a buck, if you think what I'm doing is worth a dollar, or even more, you know, no pressure, uh, paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Anyhow, uh, on with the show, James Straker, Troublemaker. Cheers. Cool. Have you got your coffee ready? Oh, get my coffee. Hold on. Yep, oh, okay. go no, no. Let's start it and I'll walk down and get the coffee and you come back to the couch. Sounds good. All right. Well, today we've got Mr. James Straker um, and I'm doing this little intro whilst he goes and gets his coffee because it's 9.38 on a Saturday night. and uh, Bl- Bloody past my bedtime. Way past both our bedtimes. Um, but as I said in the last episode we did, um, you know, nothing good happens at 10 o'clock in the morning. No good ideas are created. It's... You know the the magic comes alive when uh, when you're on the on the brink of falling to sleep. What about brunch? Kind of, sorry. What about brunch? That's no, a that's good idea. true. That's a- well, that is, no, no, no. But like that is, that is a good idea. But I don't think brunch was created at brunch. I think brunch. Oh, that's probably true, also. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. So James Straker, let's get just deep into it. Tell us about yourself. Oh, too many crickets. Uh, I'm 47. Yep. Oh, wait, am I 47 or 46? 46. Okay. Whew, that's a lot younger then. Uh, I was born in Perth, uh, Western Australia, where I spent my first year of my life. Then I moved to Brisbane with my family. Both of my parents were in the Army. Okay. So my, da- my dad was a major. Uh, I grew up in not a sort of typical Army family. Like, we didn't move a lot. But very much sort of an army modality was at play for most of the time. 
I, the thing I really remember going out with my dad was he had a saying, uh, if you're 10 minutes early, you're half an hour late. And that's sort of... Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. It's part of one of the things that made me a good tour manager, which is one of the only things I've ever done well. Um, because I, I, being late makes me feel physically sick. Like I actually get yeah, physical sensations if I'm going to be late. I just don't care for it. Yeah. And I think my dad, my dad always just kind of said, you know, your time is no more precious than anyone else's time. So don't waste it. So don't wait. Well, it's, kind of, it's the yeah. it's the great equaliser, isn't it? Every yeah. every man, woman, and child's got 24 hours in a day. Um, like all good middle class punk rockers, I went to a private school, uh, Ipswich Grammar. Yeah. So okay, is, before you go on, before you go on. Um, well, uh, not to you know bring it rain you rain you in too hard, but we did your parents live in uh, Brisbane and then move to Perth and then move back to Brisbane or did they? Go I don't actually know. That's no, no, no. I think my, like my. My dad grew up in Koran near Gympie. Uh, my mum grew up in the fair estates of Rooty Hill and Mount Druitt. Um, in so in so she's, South Wales. Yeah, she's from the Badlands. Yeah. Um, uh, my dad, his family owned a sawmill up at Gympie. And uh, so they were kind of like, I guess, almost ran the town a little bit. <laughs> it yeah. felt like that when I went, when I went there as a little kid. I sometimes thought, you remember in that movie Gremlins, there was the old woman who everyone was sort of scared of who ran the town? Yes. I kind of, yes. Felt, like that, I kind of felt like that was my grandma. Okay. Mum um, and dad met in the army. Uh, dad, they'd only been dating like six months, I think. Then dad went uh, to the Vietnam War. So they got married before he went to the Vietnam War because as he said, and, uh, he's a civil engineer, a very practical man, he said uh, that way if he died over there, mum would get the widow's pension. <laughs> I was just right. like, oh, good. Yeah. So then uh, dad came home, kind of messed up from the war, as you'd imagine. Uh, then they had my older sister and then had me. Were your, were your grandparents, was your grand, uh, grand, yeah, were your grandparents in the, yeah, in the grand, First World War? Granddad, my, my granddad on my dad's side was... In the air force, I don't think he's—I don't think he's ever deployed though. Okay. And my granddad on my mum's side was in the Royal Australian Navy, and um, yeah, he served during World War Two. That was a pretty crazy story, actually. Like he enlisted in the the navy, I think, when he's 19 years old. He he grew up grown up around again, you know, sort of um, New South Wales, nowhere near the beach, and barely passed his entrance test, being able to swim and that sort of thing, and then got sent on the Mamansk run, which was basically between, uh, across the top of the Arctic Circle, between Canada and Russia. Like, it's the most dangerous waters in the entire world. And that's that's where, like, where the, the weather got so cold that seawater would actually freeze onto ships and topple them. And so, Jesus. yeah, he went from 19 years old in regional New South Wales to the most dangerous oceans in the entire world. Yeah, bit of a bit of a change. Hectic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, a, I, I grew up in the, about halfway between Brisbane and Ipswich, just on the good side of Brisbane, I think. Uh, I grew up on 20 acres, there was no public transport, so I got bored pretty quickly and I tended to burn things and blow things up and generally cause a bit of a ruckus. Yep. Uh, I have a touch of the ADD, which definitely came out when I was younger. Yeah. 
uh, I was pretty lucky. I had super supportive parents in, I guess, ways that were not like normal parents. Like my dad uh, concreted a gully that was on our property and we made a skate ball out of it because there was nowhere to skate in Brisbane then, you know? Like, so I was pretty lucky having a dad like that. Like, they didn't really understand why I like skateboarding, but they just sort of did what they could. He was an engineer, so he figured out how to basically make the transitions right and built this kind of gnarly horseshoe bowl. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Mm. My mum and dad were pretty funny like that. Like, I've, I've played in bands since I was about 14 or 15, and, like, I would have played, I guess, quite a few hundred shows, and none of my family have ever seen me play once, not once. But, like, when we are too young to hire cars, my mum would lend us her Honda Civic, so we'd tour down to Sydney and Melbourne like four dudes in a little Honda Civic hatchback. Oh, comfortable. Yeah, super comfortable. Yeah. But, we were, like I said, we were, too, we were too, um, too young to hire cars. Like, my mum, because she was real worried that, you know, I was quite young when I started touring, and so she, I remember she bought me a mobile phone because I wasn't old enough to drink or anything. And um, I can remember it was like, a, I think it was like $1,000 at the time. It was so funny that mobile phones started at $1,000, then went to $50, and now back up to $1,000 again. Yeah, yeah. My mum my would do this bizarre stuff, like we'd be driving in the middle of nowhere, and the phone would ring. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and my mum would be up. This is obviously pre-internet. She'd be up with maps, working out, like actually figuring out, because she used to rally drive cars. So she'd be like, ah, you're coming up on, oh, what's a town? It's a town in New South Wales where there's a big Japanese prisoner of war breakout in, in World War Two, And okay. I, can't remember, I can't remember what town it is, but this is what my mum would do. She'd ring up 2 o'clock in the morning and just go, oh, you're travelling through this town, I imagine, by this time. It was a scene that's <laughs> get these history lessons as you're driving at yeah. 2 o'clock in the morning. She's a strange one. So you you skipped over the fact you said she was a rally car driver. Yeah, she she bought a, a mini. She she bought a mini Cooper S off the New South Wales Police Department when she was young, and I uh, used to rally drive that. I think my mum was a pretty bit of a badass when she was younger. Yeah, she's still a badass now. She's a tough. She's a scary woman, not in a kind of like a ogreish, um, you know, physical way, but she's five foot nothing and just full of piss and vinegar if she wants to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And is uh, you, what kind of what kind of man is your dad? Oh, you mentioned that he was very—he's very on top. The, I love the idea of if you that that concept of if you're ten minutes early, you're half an hour late. Like, and, and one I try to live off is like a saying similar to that. Um, basically, on time is late, and early is on time. That's exactly because my my dad's kind of said it, you know, because he was in charge of a lot of people in in the Vietnam War and said if you were meant to be at a certain place at a certain time, you couldn't be just kind of like, oops, sorry, buddy, we're stuck in traffic you know <laughs> like, yeah oops yeah yeah it doesn't work like um that. <laughs> yeah uh so my dad my dad uh yeah he's a very interesting dude he does reiki and is into divining rods and but as a civil engineer so he has a very funny balance of sort of uh a little bit of eastern mysticism but very much scientifically based as well yeah that is a very he, odd he, balance yeah, he he and like I didn't like none of the stuff. I've I've been in and around music since I was like I guess like just fourteen or fifteen years old, maybe sixteen years old. I can't remember. Um, but none of the music came from my family. Like my family had no records growing up. I can remember. So what? Yeah, sorry. What you going? Oh, well, I guess this leads into the first track. Yeah. 
Which is Kenny Rogers, the gambler. Oh, what a hit! Okay, so my, why if, if if music wasn't a thing at home, why this? Because my parents owned, from my recollection, under ten records. Okay. I remember they had they had a Nana Muscuri record. Okay. A Kenny Rogers album, a Neil Diamond album. Uh, they always had like military tattoo records, like you know the Scottish yep. military tattoo, the marching stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I think there's a Pam Ayres record. And that was literally it. That was all the music that was in my parents' house. Um, so I don't even think I can remember my parents playing this song. I don't really remember my parents listening to music, but I remember that this was an album I could remember going through my dad's office and he had this in there. So that's where the record player was or like was the record player? I, I, can't, I can't honestly even tell you that we had a record player. Okay. I can just remember this. That was the first records I can remember seeing, like actually going, oh, that's that's a record. That's what that is. That has music on it. Yeah, like my, my parents, yeah, just not into music. Just okay. my, mom reads, my mom reads books. My mom has bookshelves filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books, and she's read every single one of them. And she, on average, I would say, would read three to four books at a time, and she would read at least that many books every week. Wow. Just, just crazy. Um, my dad worked, so I don't think I had much time for music. But, yeah, I can just remember that was the first thing. My sister listened to music that she was into, So I she guess. Was, she was younger or older? I know you mentioned older, it, but I can't remember. Two, okay. two, two years old. Yep. Two years older. Um, so she, she's an award-winning federal police officer. Um, so I definitely came out of my mum's vagina in trouble. Um, <laughs> definitely the black sheep of the family. Um my sister listened to like, you know, Thompson Twins and Duran Duran and stuff like that. So that was definitely stuff I heard. But, yeah, because remember that was the first album I can remember seeing was a Kenny Rogers album and Neil Diamond Hot August Night. But we went with Kenny Rogers, which is great. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go with The Gambler. Let's do it. On a warm summer's evening, on a train bound for nowhere, I met up with The Gambler. We were both too tired to sleep So we took turns staring Out the window at the darkness The boredom overtook us And he began to speak He said, son, I made my life Out of reading people's faces And knowing what the cards were By the way they held their eyes So if you don't mind saying I can see you're out of aces for a taste of your whiskey, I'll give you some advice. So I handed him my bottle, and he drank down my last swallow. Then he bummed a cigarette and asked me for a light. And the night got deathly quiet, and his face lost all expression. Said, if you're gonna play the game, boy, you gotta learn to play it right. You got to know when to hold. Know when to fold up, know when to walk away, know when to run. You never count your money. When you're sitting at the table, there'll be time enough to count when the dealing's done. Now every gambler knows the secret to surviving is knowing what throw away knowing what to keep 
Cause every hand's a winner And every hand's a loser And the best you can hope for Is to die in your sleep So when he'd finished speaking He turned back toward the window Crushed out his cigarette And faded off to sleep Then somewhere in the darkness The gambler, he broke even But in his final words I found An ace that I can keep You got to know when to hold up Know when to fold up Know when to walk away Know when to run You never count your money When you're sitting at the table There'll be time enough to count When the dealing's done You got to know when to hold up Absolutely, <laughs> like such a such a simple song, but you know, it's it's really timeless. As weird as that sounds, no, it doesn't sound sound weird at all. It's yeah, uh, I, I mean, like conceptually timeless. Um, the song itself is yeah, it's a bit yeah. I don't know, I'm rambling, but yeah, it's a great jam. Did um did me personally, Gimme Gimme's ever cover this? I remember if they did. I. I don't think so because I feel like it's it kind of it feel like it goes too long for them to cover. Yeah, know. for sure. Like, but that great, yeah, that, that great thing with it, you know, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them. That's that's some good advice. Yeah, which they had, you know, can have nothing to do with gambling. No. Yeah. It's just, wait, it's wait, just, wait. He he had nothing to do with gambling. No, no. The, the advice can have nothing to do with gambling. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's 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 all purpose advice. It goes across every every, yeah. every part of your life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the, I I got into music going to high school. I don't. Like I didn't have. And I always lusted after this idea. I always wanted that older brother, or the cousin who had the great record collection who sat you down and said, "Yo, yep. this is Black Sabbath. This is Led Zeppelin. This is." But I just never got any of that. Yeah. And I, I didn't really start listening to music a lot till I got to grade eight in high school and started hanging out with the bad kids. Um, and I mean, as Instagram, the bad kids weren't really bad, but they were, I guess, Instagram's version of bad kids. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, music's never really tied me to my family. Music's always been a thing separate to my family. Okay. Um, like I've never sat down and, you know, Put on. I think it's also part of the reason why, like, I never really got into. I got into the next generation. I never got into Led Zeppelin. I got into Soundgarden. Never got into Velvet Underground by like Sonic Youth, and yep. because I didn't have that hand-me-down record collection, 
the the, the record collections that I, I started with were kind of current records at the time. So, like the first band I ever went and saw was uh, fuck was like 1986 maybe within Jesus and Mary Chain at East Leagues Club here in Brisbane. Okay, wow. So I was in like. 14 or 15 years old and snuck into that back when you could still sneak into sneak things into pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, where you had that thing where you just had to sign in, like with Lee's clubs, you had to sign in as a guest. You, all you had to do was like, like, are you over 18? Tick yes. So of just sign your name. Of course yeah. I'm over 18. Yeah. Um, and, and Brisbane was pretty funny in those times where like, you know, going out, I'm mean, going out in the valley, which is for people who aren't in Brisbane, is, you know, like, where are the, I guess the nightclubs and, venues are for the most part yep. since I was about 14 or 15 years old and we used to go to a place called The Outpost and this is like Joe, yes, a Fitzgerald inquiry, Joe Biocchi's in the era times where the corruption was so evident, like you could see people getting handed envelopes of cash across bars and, wow. you know, we'd go, we'd go to this club on a Friday night, The Outpost, and you'd have your school bag over your shoulder, like as you went in because you couldn't leave, there's no lockers or anything anyway, so take your bag in with you. So actually had a, you're carrying a school bag into the venue. <laughs> just, and, and still no one questions you? No, as long as you're paying your cover charge and putting yeah. money across the bar, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. Brisbane, I don't want to sound too derogatory of it, but for... Go, go, go crazy. For, yeah, for a long time, it, it was just a big country town, wasn't it? It still is. Yeah. Like I, think that, I didn't I re- want to say that, but I, yeah, I still think that too, yeah. Brisbane's an interesting, like, it's... Um, in the punk side of things, it's kind of weird. I think it's where the Saints came from, you know? So yep. technically, you know, Brisbane did produce the first ever punk rock seven inch, you yep. know, on, on, on sort of from a historical point of view. And they're definitely, I mean, then you think about stuff like Razor with Task Force, you know, so Task Force, again, if people don't know, Joe Bjorki Peterson had a, a section of the police called Task Force. And this is uh, a group of police whose sole job was to basically take unwanted people off the street. Like if you're indigenous or a hippie or a punk or just like someone causing a ruckus or rabble rousing, you could just be taken off the street and held without charge. And so it was, it was pretty kind of gnarly, you know. Yeah. Um, but it took me a really long while to try and work out. Like Brisbane has never really had a nice pub scene. Like it's not like Melbourne or you know, even to, to an extent like Sydney in the, the 80s and 90s. It there's a strange thing with Brisbane where Brisbane became Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne is a whole bunch of suburbs that make up a city. Like in Melbourne, you've got the city of Paran, the city of Brunswick, the city of Fitzroy. Yep. And strangely enough, what was fucked in the 80s in Brisbane was sport. But that's actually what made a lot of other cities really, really good. I remember the first time ever being in Melbourne, I think from memory it was like the public bar or something like that looking at a, you know, like a, a 1970s style punk dude with a mohawk and a leather jacket sitting next to this old guy and they're chatting at the bar. And in Brisbane, you just never see that. Yeah. And I, I just remember thinking like, what are these people talking about? Like what, why, why are they hanging out? And they both had the same football scarf on. So there was a right. thing that united people yeah, okay. in places like Melbourne, Sydney. But in Brisbane, you got, you know, it, it extends all the way through now. you got the Brisbane Broncos, the Brisbane Raw, the Brisbane Lions. And so Brisbane was a giant country town, you know, like it, it really it still is. Like we don't have, you know, suburbs or little mini cities like Melbourne does or even like, you know, I guess different districts like Bondi is so different to Newtown. Yeah, very you know, much so. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously Brisbane has different suburbs, but it is a big town. We've got 
the big Suncorp Stadium, the big Brisbane Entertainment Centre. You know, we knocked down Festival Hall. And I think maybe Joe Bjorki-Peterson had a lot to do with that because during the, the 70s and 80s, so much of Brisbane's historical buildings and, and sort of sites were, were bulldozed by developers. And I think that did have an effect on the city. Okay. Mm. That's, yeah, that's something, I mean, yeah, that's something I've never really heard about, like from that aspect of things. Like, and it completely makes sense. Like, it doesn't really have that, you know, you, you can drive, like I feel like you can kind of just drive through Brisbane City and it always feels the same the whole way through. Absolutely, ab- absolutely does. I mean, I just yeah. think from a historical point of view, you know, like so, like we had this incredible venue called Cloudland just at the bottom of the valley. And it was a 90, like an art sort of decade, like 1940s, 1950s, um, spring floor, like spring-loaded floor ballroom dancing place and bands used to play there like all the time. And it got bulldozed by this company called the Dean Brothers. Like it was, it was meant to be. I think it was, it was, it was like um, heritage listed, and it just got knocked down at midnight. Just bulldozed. And the Dean, I remember the Dean Brothers, the cheeky fuckers, still have these ads in like the yellow pages for the demolition business, and says, you know, all we leave are the memories. Wow, <laughs> it's just like so brutal. And again, we knocked down festival, knocked down festival hall. You know, like a, a venue that that oh, I, you know, the Beatles played there. Jesus, did they and really? Yeah. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll have to fact check that, but I'm pretty sure they did. Oh, we, yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll just pretend there's, we there's, did. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's nowhere else they would have. Um, so you know, in most cities, you sort of go, well, that's going to be heritage listed, but instead they they built a hotel tower there, and then put this really horrendously offensive tribute to the bands that have played at Festival Hall in the foyer of the lobby, sort of thing. You know, yeah. the, the, it's like, oh, good. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for taking the venue away. Yeah. Um, and leaving us with that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, Brisbane, but, so Brisbane definitely is a big country town. And there's, I think there's a whole bunch of, I mean, geographically we are still. I think it's one of the, the most geographically spread cities in the Southern Hemisphere. Like it's a huge city. Yeah. Like the CBD itself isn't very big, but the actual city itself is massive. Yeah. Um, so you have a low population. Uh Combine that with a love of rugby, Bundaberg rum, and bad beer, and it's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting things come out of it. Exactly, exactly. So let's, um, I guess let's, if you, you know, let's talk about your first, your first proper musical experience, like more than just looking at your dad's records. Do you remember kind of the, what the first thing you were listening to, whether it was on the radio, oh, I guess it would have been on the radio or maybe tapes you were borrowing or something like that? Like, um, Yeah, so, so I can remember this too. I have a terrible memory for a lot of stuff, but I can distinctly remember uh, the first time I ever heard the Ramones was at was in grade eight and a kid called Rod Bunter, um, who's an artist now here in Brisbane. He oh, so played he's still around? Beat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Still in contact with him. Uh, my mum still uh, curses him as the, the the man that made me turn to the bad music. <laughs> Planted the seed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I remember just a really shitty Walkman on the school oval and he played me beat on the brat and I was like just terrified of it because it's like, what the fuck? These people are killing someone and they're writing a song about it. And, you know, at the time, you know, obviously the Ramones now is very bubblegum in the sound of it. But at the time it was this very heavy music and just like – yeah, beat on the brat, beat on the brat, beat on the brat with a baseball bat. It's like, oh my god, what is this? Yeah. And 
I was just instantly hooked. Like the cliche thing to say, just like I was like, I need more of this. This is, I've, um, I've, I'm not a very social person. And I didn't have like a lot of friends growing up. I don't have a lot of friends now. I've got, I like know a lot of people, but I'm a bit socially awkward and punk rock and skateboarding. I think it's a cliched story, but it holds so true for so many people. It was the first time I felt safe somewhere where I kind of was like, oh, okay, this is cool. I didn't. I never got team sport. I didn't understand going to cricket practice or rugby practice or Aussie rules practice, and yep. like music just made sense to me. Uh, unfortunately, that's combined with an almost complete lack of musical ability on my part. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, like uh, why should that stand in the road of things? That's what punk rock is invented for. Um, so I definitely fell in with the, the older kids. It made sense to me. Uh, Bands like Devo, Talking Heads, The Ramones, uh, early Sonic Youth, Jesus and Mary Chain. Like I, said, I think, think Jesus and Mary Chain was the first big concert I ever went to. Yeah. It was like, you know, an East Leeds club at the time was a scary – like that East Leeds club in South Brisbane, it was a scary place because all the skinheads hung out. And there'll be times when you just go to, to take a piss and you'd open the door of the men's toilets and there's just a row of bald heads across the urinal. Urinal is just like, oh, don't need to pee quite at the moment. Yeah, you know, I'll um, hold it. Yeah, and skinhead violence in the 80s. I mean, again, I didn't live in other cities, but in, in Brisbane it was pretty pretty fucking full on. Um, and, you know, in the Queen Street Mall, there'd be quite often the Friday night scuffle between skinheads and indigenous mob. And, yeah, it was kind of hectic. Um but that was definitely the, sort of the, the first bands I got into. So, so where did you make the tape from? I wouldn't have a clue. I have to ask him that, actually. That's a very good question. I should have, should have researched that more. Um, that was definitely, you know, early tape trading days. Okay. Brisbane, interestingly, though, also had, um, like, Rocking Horse Records, which was actually the first import record store in Australia. Wow. Um, and so Warwick, the owner, actually got taken to court in the 80s by a pastor called Reverend Pastor Camp. So yeah, Reverend Pastor Camp, the guy's name was. Um, they they tried to do the same things with America. That he got taken to court for stocking obscene music like the Dead Kennedys, and he actually had to go and defend his store legally, his right to actually sell records like the Dead Kennedys and stuff like that. Um, so there's that weird backwater thing again where, yeah, it's a big country town, but there's the first import record store in all of Australia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, that was kind of interesting. Um, so there definitely was places to get music. Um, so we're gonna are we gonna go with the Ramones? Yeah, beat on the brat. Too easy. Like and, why wouldn't you? Yeah, and I, I've got two Ramones tattoos. They mean a lot to me. Uh, I always liked the the two really distinct songwriters between Dee Dee and Joey, where Joey had those just those really beautiful Beach Boys esque, you know. I'm a lonely guy. I want a girlfriend. Hold my hand. And Dee Dee was just that, you know, I'm sucking some dude's cock for, <laughs> for a gram of smack. And it's just that, that a beautiful sort of dichotomy between the two songwriters there. Yeah. And the Ramones is always a really funny one because people always say that their songs all sound the same. It's kind of like, well, they actually don't. They had two really distinct songwriters. Yeah. Um, one of the strange things that ever happened to me was I was wearing a Ramones T-shirt. This is name drop number one which is unavoidable in the in the story i was at a slayer concert at river stage 
Wearing Ramones t-shirt was actually given to me by Arturo Vega, who designed the logo and had his name on it. So it says, you know, like Johnny, Joey, Didi, Artie. Awesome. And a dude comes up to me and says, do you know that's a band, not a fashion label? Wow. And I was like, jeez. This is like mid-2000s. I was, was like, going to say, like, yeah, it, it, that doesn't sound like it happened I, too long ago. I was like, what? I thought it was someone I knew and just forgotten and I'd taken the piss out of me. I'm, like, I'm not the punkest dude in the world by any stretch of the imagination, but I think you could glance at me and go, okay, that dude might know who the Ramones yeah, are. probably gets it, yeah. And I was like, oh, uh, I was just gobsmacked. I didn't really know what to say. And then he name-checked one of my own bands to me. And he was a band called Rochambeau that I was in. And he was just like, yeah, so, you know, you're into local punk stuff, like blah, 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 and Rochambeau. And I was like, this is actually a practical joke. This dude's just name-checked yeah. a band that I'm in Where's the camera? To me. Well, I was just like, and he wasn't. It was just, and I, I hate musical snobbery. Yeah. I really, really dislike it. I hate that there's a punk rock rule book that says you have to listen to a certain amount of songs or you can't wear a T-shirt. And music, for me, is absolutely the most vital art form in the entire world. And a dude called Aaron Farley from America, I had a really good discussion with him about it. Um, he played in a band called Sabretooth Tiger and he and another guy, Jeremy Weiss, ran a, a radio show out of LA. And every time they played a show in their bands, they would buy little FM transmitters and send them out to people around America. And then they'd broadcast their, they'd live stream their show over the internet. These people would pick it up on these little FM transmitters uh, transmitters and receivers and broadcast locally in the area. I said to him, why do you do that? He said, well, not everyone can afford a computer, but can everyone, everyone can afford a $5 transistor radio. And that's wow. art you can take, that's art you can take anywhere with you. You can take it on the train, on the bus, if you're sleeping under a bridge, sleeping in a car, if you're sleeping in a mansion that you live in, no matter where, you've got that art form with you. And that always struck me so strongly that I'd never really thought of it like that before. Like, it is such a beautiful art form for that factor that you can take it Anywhere you can't jump on a bus with a big sculpture, you know, it's just not yeah. convenient. No, not at and, um, yeah. it's always bummed me out that people have this strange thing with music where they want to hoard these bands to themselves and not let other people have that enjoyment of them. And it's, and it's that thing of like, oh, you know, do you really even like the Ramones? Well, what happens if I just fucking want to wear the t shirt because it's a really cool art print? Yeah, it, which and, it you is. Know, like, it is, and, and the Ramones of all people, they had not, that Arturo Vega was their artistic director from the get-go. That's not a very punk rock thing to do, you know, no, have an yeah. artistic director. But, like, why why do you get to say to someone, this is how you get to enjoy this art form, and I veto whether you can or cannot. Like, the first time I ever saw the Bronx, I'd really only heard maybe one or two songs and saw them live. And that band made me believe in rock and roll again. You know, Dude. like, holy yeah. fuck. And so, but what? I bought a T-shirt that night. Of course I did. And But, like, but wait, because I only know two songs. So, I mean, I'm not allowed to buy a T-shirt of them. And it always has weirded me out that I guess since I was, like, 14 or 15, I've worked with bands or in bands or around bands. And my job, for the most part, has always been to make more people hear about a band, not less. So it's always been this counterintuitive thing of, like, wait, wait. You love this band, so you're going to try and restrict how many people get to hear about them yeah. by telling people they can't listen to them. That was just crazy to me, and especially, I guess, in the more sort of DIY and, and punk rock world of things where you have to go out loudspeakering to get people to hear about your music. Um, 
fuck, that was a big ramble, and I can't remember where I was going. I loved to. it, but like it was, yeah, no, no it was fantastic. <laughs> and like it complete, like it's it's just the weirdest scene. Like it's you know, I, I was listening to someone, uh, I was listening to an interview with someone there, the singer from a band called Drug Church, who Good um, name. a fantastic name, um, fantastic band, and he he made a like there was a, they had a similar conversation to that, like you know people. Um, kind of trying to want to keep what they do underground and stuff and his thing was like it's fantastic that you love my band and you know that you want to that you want me to keep doing what I'm doing but I need I need people I need more people to hear my band like and otherwise I I'll always have to go and get a job and not run yeah. my music anymore and, and I can't I can't do what I'm going to keep doing and the, and also like I don't want you to tell tell everybody how good my how good the band was that I'm in when we'd broken up and how they'd missed it because like if more people knew about my band, my band may not break up as quick kind of thing. It was, it was a really interesting conversation. Um, Absolutely. About saying, I you know, I, don't celebrate me posthumously, celebrate me now. Like everybody's celebrating it, everything now. We all, we all post how bad we feel when our famous rock star commits suicide after they've done it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, I guess also I've been very blessed in that during my tenure on the planet, my experience with bands, I guess, has been a little bit different to a lot of people where I've got to work around them and amongst them and in them. And so my experience with bands doesn't really change a great deal, whether it's the first show they've played or the 50th show that they've played. I still have a bit different interaction with them than a lot of people. So I guess that's a bit of a, I guess, I'm a bit privileged in that fact. So I can say, well, fuck, you know, get a band as big as they can be, you know, cause it, it, but I, I can understand it. So, you know, some dude finds a band and, He's their biggest fan. They've got 30 people at their show and then, you know, three years later they're playing at River Stage in front of 8,000 people and he can't get close to the band anymore. Yeah. So, of course, that sort of sucks for him. Yeah. But, man, he's still got to go, well, fuck, I helped make that. If, you know, if you're that early fan, you helped make that band. So you just have to take pleasure in that, I guess. Yeah. It's strange to me. Yeah, no, but, yeah, just find some pleasure in that more people are getting it. Like more people are enjoying the experience that you – have been enjoying for you know however long yeah mm. i suppose just with all art forms like if like i always have this sort of analogy of like if you had a t-shirt with a van gogh print on it no one's going to ask you about his early charcoal works you know like no one's gonna, yes. or if you wore if you wore a nike t-shirt with a swoosh on it you know no one's going to say who designed that logo do you yeah. even know you know but with music it's just this you know like it's this weird snobbery where people want to say how much more they know about it than you yeah. And especially in a country like Australia where it's so radio-driven and if you don't get on the radio, you're going to struggle making ends meet. So you need people talking. Yeah. Uh, Tommy, the cat, Tommy the cat's just come in and he's having a bit of a meow. I'm not I sure can if you hear him in the background. But that's cool. Yeah. Like more than merrier. We, we mm. love pets. He's a great cat. There you go. Um, cool. Let's beat on the brat with a baseball bat. Oh, yeah.
So your parents, were they kind of, were they not into you listening to it or they were like, we just don't get it or what was their stance? Mum was, like mum was just horrified by all the music I listened to. Like, you know, that's like, as Lemmy, Lemmy said, that's a true test of rock and roll if your parents hate it, it's good. Yeah. But like, you know, when you're 14 years old and you're buying like suicidal tendencies and, you know, your very straight-laced parents just going, what the fuck, you know, or getting a Sisters of Mercy album and putting eyeliner on and, my poor old dad just you know, not really understanding yeah, the black good. nail polish and, yeah. you know. Um, so it, it wasn't just that they didn't really – it's not like my parents weren't those people who, who were like, you know, playing guitar in the corner or, you know, going out to see jazz or anything. They, they just don't think they were really into music. So I don't think it made sense on really any level. And then, like, I, I was DJing – well, in inverted commas DJing, I, I worked at Triple Z, the, the community radio station up here from when I was about 15, I guess. Yep. You know, doing graveyard shifts and stuff like that to start with, but then I ended up doing like a Saturday night request show with this guy, rad guy called Dave Lennon. And so I was working on radio. I was in inverted commas managing bands. Like I, I worked with Who's Gerald, which was Custard before they were Custard. And, you know, as a 15 or 16-year-old 16 16-year-old 16 managing bands, that really more equated to just sneaking into the venues with them and getting drunk and vomiting a lot. That was sort of about all I did. But yeah. they did support in excess at Boondle in the eighties. That was a pretty rad show, actually. As um, not, what was what was the band called? Sorry, before they were custard. Who's Gerald? Who's Gerald? There you go. Yeah, and so they, yeah, they actually supported in excess in their heyday at Boondle. Now I can remember that was that was pretty fucking cool. Um, so yeah, my, my parents just didn't really understand any of that. Like, like I said, like in hindsight, they really did do the best they had with the tools they had. We're like, you know, mum bought me a mobile phone and this is like way before people had mobile phones everywhere. Yep. Um, this would have been, fuck, like 86, 1986, 87 maybe? Wow. Maybe, I, I don't know. Like that's, late, that's late, late, early. Early. So it was, it was before, it was after the ones that were bricks in the car yep. and it wasn't the sort of handbag one, it was sort of like the first big Nokia, the microwave that really heated your head up a lot. Still, um, still relatively portable. Yeah, relatively portable. Um, and so, yeah, again, mum would lend us her car to go on tour in. And so they did what they could, but 
yeah, they just like I think for regular parents, it was taking their kid to sport practice or to the sports ball on Saturday, and it just didn't really equate. Where yeah, my parents definitely weren't those parents who were like you know let's go out and watch the bands together or you know my my mum would take us to my friends and I to movies and she would sit in the back row of the cinema with a torch and read a book because okay. she wasn't really into the movie that much. You know, so that my parents were definitely there in spirit. But just well, actually, probably the other way around. They're physically, but maybe not in spirit. Um, so it definitely was finding music was my first sort of uh, experience with finding a family that wasn't your family. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really have like the, the big extended family, or you know, the the kind of cousins and uncles and brothers and stuff. So hanging out with the older kids at school was definitely kind of yeah. Let's go skateboarding. Let's listen to music. This is good. So at um, fifteen, how do you how do you convince a radio station of any size? I mean, obviously, four triple Z wasn't monstrous by any stretch of the imagination. But how do you convince them that they should let you do graveyard shifts and that kind of thing? The same way I kind of got my first job at a record store was okay. you just turn up and annoy them, and that's been the story of my life. Yep, turning up and annoying people to let me do something. Um, so, like, I got a job at Rocking Horse the second hand store to start with where I just go there every Friday and just annoy Rick, the dude who worked there. And then I think eventually after like a month or two of me annoying him, he was like, Oh look, if you're going to fucking stand there, at least clean these records. So get me to clean records. And then a little while later, he needs to go to the toilet or something. So he said, look, just stand on that side of the counter. Don't let anyone steal anything. That sort of thing. Yeah. Answer the phone if it rings. Yeah. And then it was the same with, with triple Z was you just volunteered and then you just sort of, I think, think honestly my first shift there was someone didn't turn up so literally it was kind of like if I didn't do it there was going to be no one at the station playing records at all so it's kind of like cool I'll do it I got nothing else to do tonight and, um, and was it physical records or was it was had CDs come in by this time or what, how was it working oh yeah they, dude there was still there was still like cartridges there was, there was like, yep. like when a band recorded a song they would bring it in and they'd actually put it on a cartridge, like a big eight-track kind of cassette, and it would actually be in the – that was in the hot bin would be these ten, the top ten cartridges you'd play and the ad spots were still on cartridges. And, yeah, huge vinyl library library in there. And, um, and so, like, that's kind of how I've got – fairly much anything I've done in my life is uh, if I don't have talent for it, which is most things, I've got tenacity and I'm really annoying and I will just eventually charmingly annoying, I hope, not just shitty annoying. So but, in the, so you're more of a Barry as opposed to a dick, like if you use a high-fidelity reference. Oh, uh, wait, which one's Barry? Jack Black. Jack Black? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. So yeah. high-fidelity is that thing where like you're watching high-fidelity, you're like, I'm so John Cusack, I'm so John Cusack, and then halfway through the movie, like, oh, I'm Jack Black. Yeah, I'm Jack Black. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so I'm the the fat guy with the records. Um, yeah, and so yeah, that was it. So so basically, I've always been a big fan of just asking for something. Like the worst thing that can really happen is someone says no. Literally, you really that's lost. it. it that's the you worst might, you might come have, down to. Yeah, you might have lost some dignity or get a bit embarrassed or what have you. But um, so yeah, that, that was kind of like the early days was just playing records on Triple Z, hanging out with bands, desperately trying to learn how to play guitar with no musical ability. Was, and yeah, so I, I was going to ask you that. Like you, you 
you do play it well you have played guitar in bands when did you yep. pick that up uh, I started trying to play guitar probably first year of high school so I guess 14 or yep. 13 or 14 whatever year I was thereabouts yeah and I remember my high school band had the um, the the everybody's first band rule was you have to have an adjective plus a noun. So my band was the Festering Maggots. Good. And, powerful uh, name. Yeah, powerful name. <laughs> and uh, we, we uh, in inverted commas, covered suicidal, suicidal tendencies and probably some JFA songs and Ramones and Dead Kennedys and um, and all this, we, music, all this music coming in literally just via Rocking Horse. Well, I guess so. Just well, because I, I was hanging out with people who are older than me yeah. who were at school, but also had jobs and probably had brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and dads and mums and stuff who had more music. There was definitely, I guess, coming in via different ways as well. But definitely, like Rocking Horse is that thing where, as a young kid, you'd go in. And you'd buy a record because of how it looked. Like I remember the first time I ever saw a Suicidal Tendencies record, I bought it because I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. This is like a gang and they're hanging upside down on the record. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and definitely buying like, you know, you get your import copy of the NME or the Melody Maker and you sort of look at live reviews and, and interviews with bands and uh, Rage was probably a, Big influence too, like when that first came in. I wonder what year that was. Yeah, I was about to say because you're probably you're one of the people that I would have like. You, sorry, let me say it again. I was going to say like you're you seem like at that kind of age where you would have come of age when Rage kind of would have began. I think I so. Yeah, but I don't know when it began. Like I've got no idea. Uh, like, I, there I was you go. Just it was first it screened. There. It was first screened on Friday, seventeenth of April, nineteen eighty-seven. Okay. Wow. Well, I would have thought yeah. earlier than that, but there you go. Yeah, so that's definitely – so I, I would have started – I finished high school in 89, so I would have been in grade 10, I guess, when Rage started. So definitely that would have been a, a, a big a big influence as well. Um, and Were you getting – triple? when did Triple J become Triple J? Do you remember when that happened? Because uh, yeah, it was Double J. And it was I, just – I've got a feeling that would have been – Maybe, maybe nineteen ninety. Okay, right. That sounds a bit right, actually. Um, hold on a second. Uh, do I'm just trying to look on the interwebs. Eighty nine. Okay. So eighty nine, Triple J went from being Sydney and broadcasting other capital cities. Yeah. So again, all around the area. I think look, every, every person is going to say that the music they listen to in certain eras was the most important music in the history of time, blah, 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 blah. Correct, yeah. Actually, hold on a second. My mum snuck out of home to see the Beatles, so she did like music at some point. Wow. That's a hell of a story. In what, what city was she? She was in Sydney. Yeah, so she was in, in, in Rudy Hill or Mount Druitt. Um, yeah. But again, that may not have been as much to do with the music as simply the hype, if that makes sense. I'll have to ask her about that one Mate, as well. But yeah, I, absolutely. I know she and I do remember my dad once told me he liked the Rolling Stones. Just in passing, um, yeah. Yeah, just in passing. Um, I remember because mum liked the Beatles and he liked the Rolling Stones. So that was the, the, the point of difference between two of them. But again, I can't ever remember seeing a Beatles or Rolling Stones album anywhere, but who knows. Yeah. Um, he was in Vietnam, Paint It Black. That's the whole, that's the yeah. whole thing, isn't it? He relates um, to that, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, wait, was Painted Black Rolling Stones? Yeah, no, yeah. No, that yep. was um, – it was? Yep, yeah, yep. okay, cool. I thought it might be Jefferson Airplane. No, definitely Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah, cool. Um, so, yeah, so I, I guess that was the thing. Like, then the, the other person that I started hanging out with who was a big influence on me musically was David from Custard who was in Who's Jail Time. So I was in Custard for the first four shows they existed. That was called Custard Gun. It was a lot more immature. Yeah, uh, was more kind of like Sonic Youthy sounding, which sounds a bit weird because they didn't end up saying anything like that. Nothing at um, all. Yeah. No, I think like the first ever show we played was in my parents' garage. Um, I played maybe a couple of shows, like one in Toowoomba and one at the Orient Hotel in Brisbane. I was sixteen, and I got kicked out of that band. Uh, I, David will deny this to this day, but this happened. Uh, I got a phone call from him saying, we're having band practice tomorrow that you don't have to come. You don't need to be there. Yeah, that's <laughs> I was heartbreaking. Like, oh. Dude, as a 16-year-old, I was like devastated. Um, so so just, for, just for, I guess, a reference sake, for anyone who hasn't heard Custard, Custard, in my opinion, and you can tell me yours and, or correct me if I'm wrong, um, they, they, had, they were big in the 90s as Australian alt-rock kind of thing, as an yeah. Australian alt-rock band. I think they never really um, – I've always thought of them like, as I think, a front-end loader where they were a – they were a band's – like a band's band, if that makes sense. I think like front-end like, – they probably had a little bit more commercial success oh, than front-end loader. No, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, But definitely they were like – they were definitely like if someone asked me to describe Custard, I'd say Talking Heads meets They Might Be Giants. Nailed it. Yeah, no, um, so yeah. I think I think that might have been the problem at the end of the day was that they were maybe a bit too clever. Yes. A bit too satirical and um, – A uh, bit too cynical. That's fun and loader. Oh, no, <laughs> actually, yeah, that is too. Yeah, sorry, that is too. Yeah. Um, and so David was definitely a person who sort of introduced me to stuff like Jonathan Richmond, Talking Heads – all I guess the arty side of rock, which I never sort of fell in love with as much, but he was definitely the first dude who ever played me Devo. Um, and Devo, to me, are the ultimate punk rock band. Um, coming from like Akron, Ohio, this industrial city, which would just have been full of jocks and rednecks. And yep. man, they were a weird fucking band. Um and that's what I, I always love. I mean, for me, in inverted commas, punk rock is always the underdog. So it's like, you know, it's breaking out of where you're not meant to be able to break out of. And, and Devo always really summed that up for me. Um, and they're just so fucking weird, you know? And just these weird buzzsaw guitars and odd keyboards and weird time signatures and, you know... And again, like a lot of those bands, like even like Custard themselves, like you know, flirted with commercial success with Whippet and Girl You Want, want and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so I'm gonna try. I'm gonna sneak another track in. Please do. And, we, and put a Devo one. About, we spoke about this, and I said you're like you're more than welcome to throw a couple of extra tracks in. I'm more than fine with that. So I've got about seventy. Um, That's cool. So um, I don't want Devo track. Uh, Hold on, let me have a ponder. Did I wrote you, down Devo. Did you see notes. just recently? This is a completely well, a little side note. But did you see just recently um, that someone pieced together that the cover of uh, that the what's a Devo album that's a drawn picture of the guy? Uh, is it? I think it's. Oh, are we not men? It's uh, yeah. Are we not men? So yeah. there's a picture that looks like 
like incredibly like David Bowie, pulling oh, really? that same pose way before David Bowie actually did that. Whoa. Yeah, I'll have to send you the link. Uh, okay, I've worked out what song I want. Go for it. Mr. DNA. Mr. DNA. So uh, it's, it's, like, it's like a double song. It's Smart Patrol, Mr. DNA. And what is it about this? Um, it talks about Spud Boys, which is a problem with potato thing that I'm always obsessed with. Um, probably one of the Mr. DNA is probably one of the faster Devo tracks, I guess, in my memory it was. And I definitely see songs like that being a precursor to pop punk. Wow. Um, which Devo probably isn't really thought of that much, I don't think. But to me, Devo had a couple gems in there, which were just these amazing buzzsaw fast for the time uh hooky as hell choruses and catching yeah i just remember mr dna being one of my i think probably my favorite song and there's a little tie in as well so gerald v casal was uh one of the singer songwriters well one of the songwriters from the band from devo that's where who's gerald got their name from that brings it all back together no it certainly does that's so that's that's perfect let's listen go
And I always really, I always really, really like the fact that Mark Lisbar got into doing film soundtracks and cartoon music and stuff like that. I always thought that was really smart. I've always admired musicians and artists who branch away from their their gifted field a little bit and yeah. you know create. Yeah, and that's something that David from Custard actually did to his credit really well. Like he wrote ad jingles. Okay. I think, do you remember? Do you remember that Calippo, the Calippo ice block? That slipper, slipper, Calippo, slipper, Calippo. He wrote I think that. that. I think David wrote that. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> well, friends or I'm getting the dream world ad. Although that was a song beforehand. Sorry, say it again. Friends or I'm having a, a song on the Dream World ad, although that was yeah, that was a song before the Dream yeah, World. Yeah, before they picked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like pe- pe- people like like people like Mark Musbell, I can think yeah, he did like the Rugrats theme and stuff like that. Oh, was that him? Yeah. Wow. And now he's on um, Yo Gabba Gabba. Yep. As an artist. Yeah. I, I love Yo Gabba Gabba. I took my daughter Frankie along to see it live, and it was so good. Dude. I got yeah. up and danced. That was the first time I danced in a really long while and I felt like such a gooseberry. Like I'm not a good dancer to start with and I felt really embarrassed. I was like the only dude standing up at Yo Gabba Gabba dancing and I suddenly realized, man, if I can't get up and dance with my daughter at Yo Gabba Gabba, I'm doomed. Yeah, it's... So I put the embarrassment aside and danced. Mate, I would get up and boog. Like how long ago was that? Uh, four years ago. <laughs> wow. Because like I – so I'm at this stage now where I look out for, you know, I, I – I, I follow the Wiggles on Facebook and I follow those guys on Facebook because, like, the second they announce shit, I'm like, I've got to go. Like, we've got to yeah. go as a family. Like, this is going to be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yoga Gabba was awesome. And I just loved all the music people they got on. It was great. So did they have – um? not that we'll make this too much of a Yoga Gabba chat, but just out of my personal curiosity, like, DJ Lance Rock obviously came out. Yeah. Do they bring it? Do they bring anyone else or? No, they didn't have music people with them. It was just it was just all the the, the characters. Yeah, okay. and, and the DJ. So it was great. It was a, such a good show. I can imagine. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So then I guess from listening to stuff, I said like listening to stuff like Devo, Talking Heads. It was definitely the the harder music that got me more, and I fell really deeply into West Coast punk rock. Like suicidal tendencies and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I guess, did, like, as a skater around that time, that would have been, you know, you wouldn't have been alone with that being the soundtrack, yeah? No, no, absolutely not. Skateboarding was scary as fuck in the 80s. Like, I was talking to someone about this a couple of weeks ago. I used to skate with a long while. And I've always, like, my guitar playing, I've always been very enthusiastic about skateboarding and very bad at it. Yeah, <laughs> um, had heart. Oh, yeah, staunch ass. But uh, we used to skate in groups of like six to eight dudes because carloads of bogans and and football dudes would stop and just want to beat you up because you're a skateboarder. And it was really weird. Like that, that it's hard to explain to people that within one generation you would actually get beaten up for having a skateboard. Yeah. For, you you know, know, well, skaters would get beaten up for doing it and then 10 years later – would be making millions and yeah. being on video games. It's something the Razor Scooter kids will never understand, no, man. No. <laughs> like it's – yeah, it's one of those things that people kind of look at back at the old days and, you know, you can watch all those classic skate videos or, yeah, videos, like all those really early ones and go, oh, you know, it was so pure or whatever it's, and, you know, it was so rose-coloured glasses. But, mm. yeah, you never really hear about the flip side of 
you were you were completely ostracized. Absolutely. And also that it made it, it sort of, and, and in a weird way, again, in hindsight, like you want to get beaten up by someone, but it felt right as well though. Like it felt like as a young kid wanting to be a punk rocker and wanting to skateboard, it did sort of feel good that the the system was out to get me, you know, as yeah. much as the system was out to get any middle-class white kid in Australia, which yeah. is very much, you know, but, um, you know, that, I didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. So it felt good. Okay, if I'm not going to belong, I'm going to enjoy really not belonging there. Like I'm going to thrive on not fitting in. Um, and that's that's a healthy thing, I think. Yeah, sick. With, within, a, within a measured dose. So um, is there a good go? I said then uh, I remember – going to the first time I ever went to Los Angeles, going to Venice Beach, actually going to the Suicide Tenancies, like a uh, tattoo, tattoo studio and skate yeah, shop yeah. there and just and just being like just in awe of just like, oh, my God, like this is the holy grail, you know, like actual dog town graffiti. And, yeah, like that was like I, I really enjoyed that whole side of skateboarding, like that sort of the the dirtier side of skateboarding, like dog town skate, like dog town, Eric Dress and dog town deck was the first pro deck I ever bought with my own money. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. See, my, my, that's it. my mum was so horrified. My parents were so horrified because, like, you bring home, like, a record bag and it's, like, Dead Kennedy's Suicidal Tendencies and my mum was just like, what are you listening to? Like, it's just, yeah. I mean, I had I had my whole room painted black and I had rat, pet rats in there and, you know, I was literally, like, the little kid out of suburbia. Do you think, see, something that, like, you know, you've you've got, how old's Frankie? Ten. Ten. Do you think that – do you think music can be shocking anymore? Like because, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe the name Suicidal Tendencies or Dead Kennedys is still offensive to somebody. It is to my parents. I don't think anyone yeah. – I think if you said it to someone who's under 30, they'd be like, who are the Kennedys? You know, yeah, they, they're well, just – that's not there anymore. But, but my mum growing up is a bit of a royalist and – Yep. My dad, you know, being, both of them being in the army and serving under the queen kind of thing. And, you know, they both came from relatively small towns. And, um, yeah, it was absolutely offensive. I think I imagine I can't – my fingers are far off the pulse of whatever that weird auto-tune hip-hop thing is at the moment. Oh, but, you know, all rap. The, yeah, but, you know, all the, all the dudes with covered in tattooed faces yep. and that kind yep. of stuff. I imagine there's parents who are pretty worried their kids listen to that just because they've got they're, they're listening to a black dude with tattoos on his face. Yeah. Um, I think every generation of people, the music they listen to between the ages of 15 and 25 is the music that's going to define their entire life. Yeah, yeah. I think they're going to think it's the best music that's ever existed. I think there's people right now listening to the June Rats and the – temper trap or whatever they call it going oh my god this yep. is gonna be the most amazing music and blah 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 I, I just think it's also natural that whatever for the most part parents are gonna get worried about what their kid is listening to but i think the generation gap is getting smaller and smaller like yeah you know like i took frankie to yo gabba gabba and i got up and danced i take frankie to go and see movies and we watch them together like you know i took it to katie perry I'm not going to ever tell her she can't listen to Katy Perry, but I'm also like, you know, hey, listen to Bjork, you know, Bjork. You yeah. Know, like, you know, just, you know, here's other – listen to High Tension, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that there's the generate for me anyway the generation gap is is a lot smaller but I also think that's probably the normal thing that when there's something missing from your childhood with your parents and look, I had a really easy childhood like I you know struggles and everything but you know never wanted for money never wanted for you know comfort yeah you know we weren't super rich but we certainly weren't poor yeah um but you still well, you, know, it, you know it was it was literally back at a time when there was a definitive middle class yeah yeah de- definitely we were, we were definitely a middle class family you know we had two cars but one was second hand yeah um you know and so i guess i definitely had something to rebel against i don't i mean i don't remember a- actively going out of my way to rebel like you know it wasn't like fuck the system or anything it was just simply i just don't get any of this at all i don't understand it yeah. so i think for maybe with me and frankie you know, I probably am trying to make sure that the experiences I have with her um, make up for something that I felt was missing from my relationship with my parents. I think that's pretty normal. In, yeah. in, you know, if it's I didn't miss out on love from my parents, I just missed out on music. And music is such an important part of my life. I get literally has been my best friend since I was 14 years old yeah. and my only and my only constant friend I, I, I'm not one of those people I never had a crew of people I, I don't I'm not friends with people I went to school with anymore yeah. you know I, I've, I'm, I'm really fucking annoying for the most part so <laughs> it's just that you know take me it's like my, some of my longest friends are friends who are overseas because I only get to see them every once or two one, yeah. one or two years yeah. you know um and so I, I, I come, there's, there's a lot to deal with with me. There's a lot of, I've got a fair bit of output. Um, so music has been that constant for me, you know, fuck, I'm still dressing like I was like when I was 14. So that's probably yep. a fairly good indicator of that as well. I wore, long pants for, I wore long pants for a whole week last week. How, how adult God. of you? My girlfriend was super impressed. Natalie yeah. was very, very happy with me. Yeah. And then the weirdly, I put I put my normal shorts on today, and they felt really short. And I was like, oh, they're still at my knee, but they feel super short because I've been wearing long pants the whole day. Yeah. Um, yeah. So stuff like suicidal tendencies, you know, everyone relates to just wanting a Pepsi. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The, yeah. the Pepsi's a the Pepsi's a metaphor for lots of different things, but think maybe with the generation gap getting smaller maybe i'm more likely to give my kid the pepsi for whatever that pepsi is yep. or or say hey why do you want a pepsi yeah what is it about pepsi about you're into let's talk about pepsi yeah rather than you know like i definitely my parents didn't understand what i wanted to get out of music at all i don't think they particularly tried to i just don't think it made any sense to them and, you know, but I think, again, I can't talk for other parents because I don't really talk with parents about this stuff necessarily, I don't think. Um, but I'm really into what Frankie's into. You know, like I said, I took it to Katy Perry. I didn't like the music, but the light show was great. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah so that, the so that, sh- that was – she wanted to go to that? Like that that's what's on her radar at the moment? Yeah, yeah, but also so so is, high, so is high tension. Yeah, you know, and so I think I've probably bullied her into high tension. <laughs> yep, no, that's but, fair enough. You know, but again, I'm I'm really lucky in that I, I'm I'm very blessed to to 
uh, be able, like I, like I took it to see a high tension sound check a couple of weeks ago and like the band were just so lovely to Frankie and just made it feel really welcome. And I've been super lucky that a lot of bands that Frankie wants to see, I can take it to see sound checks and stuff like that. When, I, when she's about probably six or seven, maybe, maybe seven, I think I took it to see Violent Soho sound check and um, yep. it was beautiful. Like, I always make sure she has earplugs and earmuffs on. Yep. I'm really conscious of not fucking up her hearing. And, oh, um, absolutely. We're at the Hi-Fi bar in Brisbane. There's like me, Frankie, a couple of bar staff, the sound engineer, the band, and the band are like sound checking on stage. The band stop. And just as they stop, Frankie just screams out because she has no idea of how loud she is. Yeah, right. she got headphones on. Yep. She screams out, there's not many people at this show, Dad. <laughs> That's so good. It was just so beautiful. That's um, fantastic. So, and, and again, like that thing of, I want her to, uh, I guess, partly experience my life a little bit as well. So I like taking her to meet bands that I've worked with and bands that I know. And because apart from them being bands, they're also my friends, you yeah. know, like these are people I'm actually friends with. And so, but I, I Dig, I guess it's my way of spoiling her a little bit where, you know, I, I don't have a lot of money so I can't go, hey, I'm flying you to Europe this year. You know, it's yeah. like, dude, let's go see Lagwagon Soundcheck, you know. Yeah, yeah let's go check it out. Yeah, stuff like that. Um, just... And, and I, I cannot say enough things, enough nice things about the high tension folks. They're just such a fucking amazing band and yep. Karina was just so beautiful with Frankie, uh, just really, really rad to her and just – treated her as like a little adult like Frankie is and yeah it's rad I've been very lucky with the, the bands I've met and worked with I really haven't ever had any bad experiences with bands at all I don't think yeah except for getting not asked to turn up to the next prac or any other pracs. yeah, well, yeah that, that, that was the, that, yeah. the one bad experience yeah, yeah. Um, if I had to choose a Suicidal Tendency song uh, it's a cliche but Possessed Escape I mean like so, do you want to go? Because they've re-recorded "Possessed Escape." Yeah, I so, don't like it. I mean, I do like it. I much prefer the original. Okay, let's go the original. Yeah, I think um, it's just a little bit nastier, maybe. Very. Yeah.
great film clip, great song. Great everything. Just, just everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I didn't really like the re-recorded institutionalised either as much. Okay. So that's where I came in with that. Like I, when I first started listening to them, I, yeah, I stepped in with all the re-recorded stuff, like join the army and re-recorded institutionalised and possessed the scale. Yeah. So that's, that's where my head's at. But I mm. completely understand how, like looking at bands who re-record songs nowadays, looking like, you know, a prime example would be Unwritten Law, um, for whatever reason, didn't don't have when they signed to the major label and did the um that black album, they don't yep. own the songs or something, so they re-recorded a whole bunch of them. And I listen. Oh, that's to, right. Yeah. yeah, I listen to the re-recorded ones and think, oh, I mean, okay, like I guess you've made it, you've made it a bit better. But then you listen to the earlier ones and go, well, this is where it's at. But I'm sure like there's you know, a generation of young, like younger kids who hear the re-recorded stuff and then hear the original and go, no, fuck the original. Like, this is where it's at. So, And how yeah. good are the fucking June Rats? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, June, I don't think I've ever heard the June Rats, but there's this, like, I, this is my generation gap thing where I see someone who looks like they're being a splendor in the grass and has yep. a moustache and, and scraggly hair. I'm like, fucking June Rats are sick. Yeah. Like, I look at it and go, I don't get it. But also, I love that people still get psyched on stuff. Oh, absolutely! It's, yeah. I, it's like the every year when people bitch and moan about Triple J Hot 100. It's oh, like, dude, yeah, I'm fucking in my middle age. Yep. If Triple J made sense to me, they're not doing their yeah, job. They are fucking up. Yep, absolutely. Like, it shouldn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I don't want to listen to it, but I'm really glad that it doesn't make sense to me because it's new music. Yeah, it's it's the national youth station. Like you might and be young I, at heart, and I am no longer the. I'm like, yeah, you're not <laughs> their no target audience. Use. Yeah, no. that's right. Uh, no, I, I do miss the J files though. I really like the J files. Do you not? So you you can they do all their J files on podcasts. They oh. st- they still do them. They just cut out <laughs> the um, like you know to to bring it all around. They do they still do them, but they don't play. Um, they don't play the they don't play whole songs, but they still talk about every. They, it's everything you get into J uh, file, without the music. Uh, well, that sucks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does, but it's convenient. Yeah, so, yeah. I kind of liked. I did like the fact that I always liked Triple J that they had Full Metal Racket and Short Fast Loud, yeah. and you know. I would have liked more of that music being splattered through the middle of the day as well, but at least yeah. it was doing something. You know? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, every once in a while, like the, like every once in a while they play. I remember the only time I've ever heard my band on the radio was on Triple J, just driving. It was. I remember it was a Wednesday because Stu Harvey was going to play it for Short Fast Loud that night. Yeah, shout out to Stu Harvey. Shout out to Stu Harvey. Yeah, absolute beautiful human. But um, and he was like, so you know, he was obviously in this studio prepping for the show that night, and they said to him, "Oh, so what new music have you got tonight for a studio?" And he's like, "Oh, I got this band called Jungle Fever, and they've got a new album." And they had a laugh, and I got to hear my song on the radio like for the only time it's ever happened. <laughs> That's and so like, good. Oh, like it, you know, you hear about people saying, "Oh, I heard my song on the radio," and I was like, people next to me in the car next to me listen to the radio, but I think it was at the time when, you know. I don't know. Yeah, it was. I couldn't. I didn't have that moment to like look over and go, "That person's listening to my song," and they don't even know I play bass on this. But um, yeah. 
it's a pretty good feeling. That's a pretty good feeling when, like, there's definitely an ego side of playing in a band where it's pretty fucking rad having yeah. people singing along to your songs. And, yeah, very much so. And, and, and again, as cliche as it is, giving energy to a crowd, getting energy back from the crowd. Um, not always good energy. We are the Brochambeau, the band I played in, we supported me personally, give me, give me's around the whole country. And we were doing a lot of nitrous oxide on stage at the time while we were playing. Right. And yep. um, I remember. On stage. Played, yeah, while we were playing, because nitrous oxide is my favorite drug in the world. And um, Yes. And uh, Joseph Priestley, the chemist who discovered it, wrote in his lab notes, you know, I've discovered a type of oxygen that's at least six to seven times better than common air. I was like, I don't want to breathe common air either, Joseph. <laughs> um, and so I was at band practice and I was talking with Tim, the singer, the guitar player, about how rad music was to listen to when you're doing nitrous. I was like, imagine how good it would sound if you were playing while you are doing nitrous. Jesus. And so we're kind of like, oh, and I remember we played two shows at the Corner Hotel and uh, the Gimme Gimme's road crew dudes were our bulb monkeys. So they'd screw up the canisters for us and bring it out while we're playing. And, and I just remember going completely into a nitrous hole and just sort of coming back to reality and going, what is that terrible squealing sound? It was just my guitar feeding back. Jesus. <laughs> that's I think so we, good. We, we might have only played three or four songs in the whole set. Um, it was really, I, was, I mean, that, and that's the ridiculousness of my life. Like, we were an unsigned band that never, in our mid 30s, never recorded any music. And we got to tour with Gimme Gimme John Whole Country. Um, so, what, what year was that? Do you remember? Ooh. Like, two, roughly. Oh, like early 2000s? Mid 2000s? Okay. I yeah. don't know. 2007 ish. Because I remember meeting you on tour with um, the Gimme Gimme's, but. You weren't playing. You were a bartender. When I was the bartender, yeah, that was a, that was probably the funnest thing I've ever done. Where I got to set up the tiki bar every night on stage. Great googly moogly. I got you, like you were serving the biggest double vodka and oranges <laughs> for fifty cents you could ever imagine. And so, that was a good. That was that was the livid. The livid that was tour, livid. wasn't it? Yeah. So man, that was a killer lineup. Yeah. I was, it's like Turbo Negro, Gimme Gimmies. That's what I was gonna say. Like, let, uh, I think helicopters played. Yep. Um, uh, Goldfinger, Lesson Jake. Mog- Mogwai? I couldn't tell. I just stayed in that one stage the whole night. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that was a good tour. But, oh, I got stupidly drunk thanks to you. And there was – because I was working for a friend's band who opened the who opened that stage, got stupidly drunk and then like was standing side of the stage watching um, Turbo Negro going, life literally doesn't get better than this. Like I've spent four dollars, I'm completely fucking wasted, and I'm standing here watching the. I'm experiencing like you don't watch Turbo Negro, you experience it. Yeah, see, I, I was a, a late bloomer to Turbo Negro, okay. and, and sort of and heard a couple songs, but then we seen them live. I was like, holy shit, this yeah. is amazing! Yeah. And I just love that whole concept of like we come from the home of black metal. How can we be offensive to people? We're gay sailors. We're gay sailors, <laughs> yeah. Just- Oh, yeah. good. Um, I was really lucky. I got to um, hang out with Tom, the bass, bass player. player, a little bit in Europe um, when I was on tour with No Effects there. And um, he's a really interesting dude, like super smart, had his own daytime TV talk show and like just, yes, yeah, super, super interesting guy. That's insane. That's probably, that's probably the most ridiculous two weeks of my life actually was, I, yeah, I spent two weeks on a, uh, on a tour bus with No Effects. 
and um, through Europe, and I'd never been to Europe before. I've been to England, and I've never been to Europe before, and I had no job. I was just literally got myself there, and I'm, again, ridiculously lucky in the things that have been put in front of me and just got to live on the tour bus with them for two weeks and did, like, Belgium, Sweden, Norway, and Germany. And it was just, yeah, it was just amazing. Um, it, it was kind of like... Um, because, you know, you obviously can't do sleeper bus tours in Australia, but it was just this weird thing of, like, you'd be at the show and then there's this sort of, you know, the general after-party shenanigans at the venue, then you'd keep drinking and whatever on the bus and then you'd wake up in a different country. Yeah, like, that's insane. Ridiculous. Yeah, because um, yeah, that, that, like, that's not a thing in Australia. Obviously, like, you know, just, like, and obviously, you're like, you're not going to drive in Australia and then end up in another country, but... Just no. the concept of going to bed and waking up at the new venue, like we just don't yeah. have a a population no, to sustain that. No, it doesn't. And like I think that's also, I guess, why music is so important to me because aside from being music being a very, very good friend to me, it's also provided me a lot of travel. Like I've been very, very lucky to travel a lot through Australia and other parts of the world through music, you know, and yeah. again – it's a balance of I've never earned a lot of money in my life except when I sold Harley Davidson. That was actually a pretty good job. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, um, but music got me places, you know, like it got me to other countries and it got me to meet really interesting people. And, you know, I guess when people are super into sport, sport can do that for them. People are super into art, art can do that for them, whatever, you know, study can do that, you know, who knows. But, yeah, like music has been this, not just a catalyst for me to want to do other things, but it's actually been the the provider of doing other things as well. You know, and it's sort of like, you know, I, I've played guitar twice live for no effects on stage. Yeah. And like 15 or 16-year-old me just saying, yeah, you'll totally be on tour with your favourite band and you get to play guitar for them and and – Again, I'm living fucking proof that lack of talent should never stop someone from trying something because there's no way I should be playing guitar on stage for any band, my own or anyone else's band. Yeah. But it should never stop you from attempting it or you know, you know, at least getting up and doing it. And I think that's, that's to me, is the punk rock ethos as well. It was like, you know, just get up and make noise. And I was never a dude... I got real fucking bad ADD and I was never a dude who could sit down and learn metal riffs. I just couldn't sit there and just, you know, learn riffs and learn licks. What's the difference between a chop and a lick? Does anyone ever actually define that? No, so so chops so chops is like the um oh, how do you put it? Chops is the general term. Like chops is the general bag of tricks. Does that make sense? And then lick yeah. is like a lick or riff is like the the specific thing. Uh, or like so chops is like chops is talent as well. Like someone's chops are made up of some sweet riffs and licks. Correct. Yes. 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 Well, yeah. They or they ch- like their chops is like a uh, chops is like a um uh like a rating or like a how would, I'm trying to think of a different analogy um. I don't think anyone's ever seen me play guitar and gone, that guy's got some really great chops and he's got some sweet licks and riffs. Yeah, like chops is the all encompassing thing. Like it's it's the everything. It's the it's the talent, it's the it's the swagger, it's the whole kitten caboodle. Yeah. I am without chop. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Chopless. I'm, vegetarian. I'm, 
Sotopolis. Yeah. I've had shows where I, I um, well, quite when I have played, I'll have times where I'll mid song just completely black out to where I am in the song. And I've had people come up to me after and go, that's really funny how you pretended you didn't know where you were in that song. I was like, yes. That was very funny when I pretended yeah. I didn't yeah. know where I was in that song. And uh, that just had nothing to do with Nitrous. It was like you were sober. No, this is this, – oh. Well, this, sober-ish. Ish has been when I've been sober and been drunk. And um, yep. uh, I just I – can't, I can't see pictures in my head at all. I have very little pattern recognition. And so I have a lot of trouble – remembering progressions of chords, progressions of notes. Also, like I said, I've never really tried to play guitar very well. I've never sat down and gone, I'm going to become a better guitar player um, because for the most part that took me away from actually going and doing things. So I was always kind of like, well, I could sit down and learn to be a better guitar player or I could just go out and book another show and play it. Yeah. So it's kind of like – yeah, and I said lack of talent should never actually stop someone from Don't let attempting. It be a hindrance. Yeah. No, um, I sometimes wonder if I'd been a better guitar player if I would have done better in bands. But I don't know, who knows? I should have studied harder at school, and not worried about bands at all. Probably. Yeah, that's the that's the hindsight in everybody, <laughs> right? Bands are bands uh, can be a waste of time, but fuck, they're fun. Ah, oh, dude, it's just I think also because sport never really made sense to me. Bands was my good male bonding time. Yeah. Um, Jiu definitely in the last six or seven years taken over that, uh, which probably is why I like Turbo Negro now as well. Another, you know, fairly homoerotic experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what got you into Jiu Jitsu? Um, I was probably in my like 36. Eight, thirty-nine. Oh, so you've been rolling towards, for a while then. Yeah, six years now. Okay. Um, I was really depressed, relatively overweight, relatively unhealthy, and one of my best and most long-time friends, Jugs, who played in this amazing band called Watership Down, and I went called Rival Flight in the nineties. Um, uh, he, he's a black belt. He has his own jiu-jitsu school down the coast. He's like, dude, you need to get into jiu-jitsu. It'll change every part of your life for the better. And I was like, well, I don't know about this, but I trust his taste in music, so I'm going to believe him. Like, I've been obsessed with MMA fighting for a really long while. Prior to um, rolling? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I've never liked combat sports at all. I've never, like, watched done karate or, like, watched boxing or anything like that. But I watched this documentary called The Smashing Machine about a dude called Mark Coleman. Um, and there's a scene in it where he um, wins a fight in Japan, I think, from memory, and a couple of days later he's back in America and he's in this doctor's surgery and this woman's going, what happened to you in a car accident? He's like, no, no, I'm a professional fighter. This is what happened, blah, blah. And she's like, I just don't understand how you could be that angry at someone to beat them up like that. And he's like, I'm not angry at him. I'm, I'm a professional sports person. This is my job. I'm paid to fight. And it flicked the switch in my brain because I've never been in a fight in my entire life. Like yep. I won my last fight by 150 meters. Boom, yeah. tsh. Um, <laughs> Very and uh, thank you, thank you. I'll be here until Thursday. Try the deal. Um, and so I'd always equated violence with anger. And um, it flicked the switch on me. I started devouring. Like I would think like the first UFC I watched was probably like UFC 12 or 13 or something like that. Um, and... 
I was sincerely into the idea of actually getting into a cage fight. Uh, and I've, I've split my skull like six or seven times. I've got a lot of concussion issues. Um, and I really learned that I have no place being there. Jiu-jitsu was just a nice midpoint for me where it tricked me into being fitter. I get to be a bit of a goon and choke people out and it's fun. Um, and there's definitely something it's definitely good people to hang out with. Like it's, um, there seems to be a lot of good folk in jujitsu and that made me really happy as well. So yeah, it kind of just replaced me. I had a bad falling out with a couple of dudes I was in the last band with and just music was just sort of for the most part done for me. Yeah. I'd like to start another band, but I'm kind of, I just need to, so Rochambeau was such a good band because we didn't want to tour. We didn't want to record. It was just really about just hanging out and making noise, which is kind of like what you first start a band for. Um, so I'd like to start another band, but I need to find a bunch of dudes who can write songs, who don't want to record, who don't want to tour, who just want to once or twice a month make a lot of noise. Um, yeah. um, so in the, in the meantime, I uh, roll around on the floor with sweaty men. On the mats, yeah. Mm. So when you said you'd you'd crack your skull open a few times, that was all skating related or? Uh, a couple of times skateboarding, a couple of times falling downstairs, a couple of times falling off chairs, all when I was younger, sober. Yep. Okay. Um, I, I, I think I've fractured my skull like six or seven times. I've had two compressed fractures where there's actually bone in my brain. Um, so I'm a little wary of doing more damage to it. Um, yep. Definitely having a kid makes you think about that shit. Like, you know, yeah. you suddenly go, oh, okay, there is definitely a finite number of years in me and I want to be physically able and capable of hanging out with my kid. Um, and so, yeah, jiu-jitsu is just that thing, okay, cool, I'm not getting punched in the face. Good. And there's just so much evidence coming out now about CTE and, like, traumatic brain injury. And yeah. So it's kind of like, okay, I've already done a fair dash of that myself. So probs don't need to be on the receiving end of a solid beating yeah, yeah. um it definitely came to a point as well though where i had a lot of anger in me like a lot of shit fucked out in my life and a lot of it was entirely my fault um but a lot of people were shit talking to me and there was a couple individual people i thought i'd actually like to fight you i'd actually like to basically walk up to someone with the glove, slap him in the face and go, let's duel. Like I don't want to get drunk and fight in a pub or something like that, but <laughs> there's some part of me, I guess some partly cocksure part of me where I'm kind of like, you know what, if you're going to talk shit, fucking throw down, you know? Yeah, okay. And, and there, there is that, I like that idea of sanctioned combat between people. I think that actually be a lot less uh, aggression in the, outside world if you could duel still if you could just actually go okay if you're gonna talk shit you have to come and like actually duke it out yeah, yeah. like choose not necessarily choose your weapons i don't want to get fucking shot but i kind of like that idea of going okay if you can have the convictions enough to talk shit like i, I think generally i try not to talk shit about people um probably because I don't like people talking shit about me. So it's kind of like, oh, I'll try not to do that. But my basic rule of thumb is you shouldn't say anything behind someone's back that you wouldn't say straight to their face. Yeah, that's a good way to do it. And so I'm kind of like, 
there's only been a couple people in my entire life who've ever really hung shit on me to my face. And as much as it sucked at the time, I've always had kind of like a bit of a, a begrudging respect for them of actually going, wow, you actually, you, you really dislike me. You really don't like me at all. And that's actually kind of cool that you had the backbone to do that. I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you didn't. But at the same time, I have to admire their, their courage, their convictions to go, you actually, you, you voiced your opinion at me. And that was actually pretty rad. You had the fortitude to do that, yeah. Yeah, and again, I'd, again, I'd rather not, but probably deserved at the time. So, um, you know, so be it. But, yeah, there was definitely a part of me that wanted to actually, there's, I can think of a couple individual people I wanted to fight. Yeah. And that was like a, a good feeling and also a bad feeling. It's kind of like, man, that's, that could be unhealthy. And I don't want to be one of those dudes who starts fights with people in a pub. Was also because I'd get my ass handed to me on a plate. Like I would, I would, would not be a good fighter. Um, yeah. Yeah. But jujitsu definitely has uh, has um, slowed me down a lot, which is something I've never really done before. I've never until my mid thirties. I never really slowed down. Just right. went at everything at full tilt speed, which was great. But um, the analogy I use is like a freight train. So there's like an engine with all these carriages behind it and everything's great while the engine's running fine and the track's stable and then when the track destabilizes a little bit, the engine starts rocking and fucking pull on the handbrake and the, the engine stops and all the carriages behind me just bam, 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 just yep. piled up behind me. Yeah. Um, so I've been trying to concentrate a lot in the last sort of five to seven years on – Doing stuff like jujitsu, uh, doing blacksmithing, wood turning, just anything I can do that's slow and patient because it's the opposite of what I am. I'm not slow and I'm not patient. Um, and that's been working really well. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the randomness of stuff that you come out with is pretty astonishing from, like, you know, I. I think we f- we first started talking like regularly when you were doing the gumball challenge where you were making you put the um the kings were in it yeah the barbecue in the boot yeah yeah, yeah in the boot of the car well before Triple M did it by the way yeah yep. um I I've because I have no talent I actually have no definable like I'm not a great singer I'm not a great guitar player I'm not a great anything but. I like eating from the buffet. I like tasting different meals. So I don't want to get to 90 years old. Like my grandma died basically sort of in front of me in hospital when I was younger and she talked a lot about how she was really scared and there's a lot of stuff she hadn't done in her life and she didn't want to die. That sort of put a rocket up my ass a fair bit. And um, on the book end of that, like I've got Peanuts characters, Charlie Brown tattooed around my arm and Charles Schultz, drew Peanuts cartoons for 50 years. He um, announced his retirement. He drew his last comic strip on a Friday. It was due to be published on the Monday and he died on the Sunday night. And that to me, in my mind anyway, I hope, is a guy who just went, I've done everything I was meant to do here. I'm good. I'm checking out. Um, Wow. So I don't want to slip over in the bathtub at 90 years old and go, Fuck! I wish I played guitar, or you know, yeah. man, why didn't I ask that girl out on a date, or why didn't I, you know, try and get a car into the gumball rally, or you know, 
those sorts of things. And it's, um, I'm living proof that a person with no, like I'm very average, like I'm not tall, I'm not sure, I'm six foot tall, I'm 92 kilos. I'm not good looking, I'm not ugly. I'm not, I'm just really in the middle of everything, if that makes sense. Um, I've never been great at anything. I've never been terrible at anything. Well, actually running businesses, I'm pretty bad at running businesses um, in the business side of things. Um, But it shouldn't stop you from, uh, for want of a better term, having a crack at something. You know, I've also been very lucky. I've always had good support around me, good friends and family, small circle of friends and family that almost driven insane, but they're there with me still. And, um, I'm pretty lucky in that I got, you know, fuck without getting too PC on things. I'm I'm a white dude in Australia. If I, if I'm not going to have a try at something, like I've got no excuses to not try at something. Yeah. You know, because nothing holding you back. That's it. You know, there's people who have nothing and very little and very few opportunities who do incredible things. So, I don't know if this sounds silly or not. I sort of see it as insulting to people who don't have as much privilege as I do if I don't try and do stuff. Yeah. No, like, it's, it makes you know, complete sense. Yeah. Hmm. That's insane. It's like it's um Dude, that that got all a bit Joe Rogan experience podcast right then, didn't it? But it was it was like <laughs> it's what the people want to hear. Like, no, but it was so um it's so inspirational. Like oh. and Always uncomfortable with that. No, no, like don't be, because okay. you know, like at the very least, it'll it's it'll send a rocket up my ass. And without blowing too much smoke up yours, like I've always thought, what would James Straker do? Like as dumb as that sounds, like you know, it's it's get fat and old. No, but you know, like I'm already <laughs> fat and I'm getting old. But um, you know, like just have a crack. Like don't let. Don't let your inexperience hold you back from something that, you know, what's the worst case scenario? It doesn't work. Okay, we'll try something else. Yeah, that's basically it, dude, you know. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, like I said, a lot of it comes from fear for me. And I'm really honest about that. Like I'm, I'm scared of being average and I am. Like I said, I'm, I'm like there's nothing remarkable about me. So I'm like, fuck, what's my story? And I'm a big believer in stories being currency. Like I love storytelling as – may gather i do like to talk from time to time yeah and um i've always sort of seen that as my currency that like i've never really sort of had to interview for a job per se because i've always sort of talked my way into things or out of things or or along the side things and i think um you know in a different world i'd love to be a great songwriter and be able to write songs but i can't write songs i'm not a good musician so Stories, I guess, are my fuck for want of a better term, art. Uh, don't like saying that like that. You know, like there's something that's in me that gets comes out of me, yeah. Um, and yeah, like I, you know, I don't want to be that dude who's like, oh, back in the day we did this. It's kind of like my best stories aren't written yet, but here's a bunch of fucking fun ones along the way. A lot of them are really embarrassing. A lot of them are me at the ass end of things, um, but. There's so many flavors to taste in the world. Yeah. So, 
one like uh, one thing that's always stuck with me that I think sums you up really well, and not that I want to sum you up right, like too early, but you mentioned to me that you viewed yourself as like a pirate. Do you remember saying yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess that that's that idea of just sort of um, sailing different seas, you know, yeah. not necessarily like there's like not the, not the figurative part, but yeah, like you know. Well, yeah. but it is, it is kind of because yeah. you know. There's, there's easy paths to choose. There's difficult paths to choose. Like, you know, there's people that explore the world by going to, you know, on a Kentucky tour and, you know, like the biggest part in the world is Henry Rollins, you know, like yeah. that dude, like he'll just fly by himself to a weird country and just immerse himself in it. North, I'm going to North Korea. I'm going to like, I think he's traveled to over a hundred countries. Yeah. Like that's yeah. wild, you know. And so I guess the idea is that you're not necessarily going to have the easiest ride along the way because the waters can be a little more turbulent, but the hope is that there's better treasure at the end of it, that the, the reward at the end of the journey, the reward isn't safe passage. I don't want safe passage through life. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in the middle of some hard shit, you probably do want safe passage, but afterwards everything passes eventually. So... Yeah, that idea that there's just there's treasure to be like fuck you know I literally do like I go metal detecting for treasure, you know like there's treasure to be dug everywhere. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna run afoul of things. The uh, the general populace isn't necessarily gonna understand it, but then you bump into other people and they make sense to you. They make instant sense to you, and you would have had that. Like everyone has this experience, but you know like you'll just be somewhere and, and meet someone who's like, holy shit, you're a pirate. Like they are flying the same flag as me. Yeah. And, you know, that little, again, you know, not like a team sport, but, oh, fuck, that's cool. I'm, I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not in the middle of society, but there's still a little group of people for me. Yeah, yeah. You, like you're on the outskirts of it, but you, you're still, you know, you're still in the monks. You're still with, with others that are like-minded yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And again, as uh, as in the outskirts, as a middle-class white dude in Australia, can be. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Always that caveat, which is true. Yeah. Well, it's the dude. I'm not even trying to sound PC, but that's just the honest truth. Like, I remember going to a book club once. There was this sort of thing called Tough Guy Book Club or something like that. I was like, that sounds good. I, I, I don't read very much at all. I've probably read ten books in my entire life. So I just can't concentrate on them. But I thought, fuck, I'm going to join a book club and try and read some books. And this dude at this book club was like, oh, you know, it's really there's a men's only book club I found out. I was like, oh, this is kind of weird. Like yeah. even at jiu-jitsu, it's not just dudes. Yeah. And um, this one guy was like, oh, it's really good to have a safe space to talk. I was just like, dude, we're white guys in Australia. Like the entire world is our safe space to talk. Yeah. Like it's not really – like it's like I have mental challenges and physical challenges, but none of them are because of my like race or gender. You know, yeah, like at it's all. just like I've got mental problems, but it's yeah. There's the I can't claim that being a white dude in Australia is particularly difficult. Yeah, yeah. So can we talk about um without getting too like I'm going to just jump head first into it because I like you haven't touched on it yet, but a lot of people, whether they know it or not, would have seen you um, on. Backstage passport two. Oh, the vomit. The vomit. You know, but like, <laughs> but like, and on top of that, like, would have seen you if they're from Australia. Would have seen you with like touring with No Effects, um, yeah. 
what's how did that all come about? Uh, in either ninety five or ninety seven, I can't remember what year I got paid to drive them around Brisbane. Okay. And just got on super well with them. They're the raddest people you could ever hope to meet. They have bad times, they say dumb things, whatever, but they've been nothing but amazingly wonderful to me. Um, got on super well with them. The following tour, the promoter said, Hey, they really liked you. They want you to drive them around the whole country. And I was like, wow. uh, I I can't afford to do that. And he's like, Well, no, we we pay you to do it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, I, well, I don't know if I can afford the airfares in between. Do I have to drive a car between the seasons? No, no, we you fly. I was like, I can't afford to fly. And they're like, No, no, we we pay for your flights. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, you know. Wait, you're gonna pay me? I'd always done like driving work, but never sort of interstate or anything like that, except yeah. in my own, in my own bands. And the this concept that someone was gonna pay me to fly in between cities with one of my all-time favorite bands to work with them, where I don't have to do anything but drive them. When I love driving cars, I was like, of course I'm gonna do that. And so I did a whole bunch of tours with them here in Australia. Of yeah, just, just out of the dozens and dozens and dozens of bands I've worked with, they're the one band that I would, I would generally call a couple of them, and especially a couple of crew dudes, like friends, like they're actually genuinely actual friends. Yep. And um, I've been super lucky that I've gone on tour with them in America, in Japan, in Europe, and um, yeah, just, just ridiculous, like just being very, very lucky to – so. Back, uh, backstage passport, that was one of the weirdest things about being on the internet and actually understanding this now that my daughter Frankie, when she was about eight, I guess, was like, ah, uh, I saw a video of you vomiting on the internet, Dad. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh that's so good. good. She's like, were you drunk? And I was like, no, I was sober, but I was drinking a beer in between mouthfuls of hot mustard to try and wash it out. She's like, that was a bad idea, Dad. I was like, it was. Said, Why'd you do it? I said, well, mainly because no one thought I could do it. Secondly, there's a camera crew there. Of course, you're always going to up your game when there's a camera crew. Yep, yep. And thirdly, Mike bet me $50 and I couldn't do it. She's like, did you get the money? I was like, no. And she's like, "Why?" I didn't finish the bowl of mustard. And she's like, you should have got the money first, Dad. I was like, holy shit. She's eight and already got better business acumen Jeez. than I do. Yeah. Like, you know, Get the cash up front, Dad. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, like I've just been really super lucky. Like I said, just got to hang out in a bunch of different cities and a bunch of different countries and um, I've toured with the Gimme Gimmies as well and, um, yeah, just like literally the stuff dreams are made of kind of thing where you just, yeah, you know, getting paid to hang out with rad dudes in rad countries doing rad stuff and yeah, yeah just yeah ridiculous <laughs> That's pretty much. um and, and they're just they're just genuinely like uh some of the nicest people you could ever meet and it's 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 one of those weird things where people like I hear, especially with mike like i hear so many people talk shit about him like i know it's always one dude in brisbane once he's like oh that dude's a fucking asshole like really why he's like tried to give him a demo CD of my band and he told me to, you know, sort of fuck off. I was like, what, what did you give to him? He goes, well, who's taking a piss? And I was like, good. Okay, yes. so the, du- the dude's taking a piss 
and you're trying to give him a city while he's got his cock in his hand. And it's just like, you know, like that's you see where maybe in that exact moment of time he was like, dude, fuck off and let me pee, you know. But then that guy's going to go away and tell the story. And people tend to sell negative stories better than positive stories. And this is me telling one right now, a negative story because it's a better story. But, you know, like, like what person's going to react really well in that situation? And so – it is, it is weird that people will have a moment with someone and then go, okay, that's my entire experience. I'm going to base my entire experience. I'm going to tell people that. It's like people who go to a restaurant and, and something's not quite right and then they walk out the door and get straight onto Google review and see this terrible review of the restaurant. I'm like, yep. but what? Did you ever think maybe you were wrong or maybe it was just a mistake or an accident? Or yep. um, we, we definitely do like um, complaining about stuff. Uh, I definitely went, have been through a very complaining stage in my life where I thought there was a lot of things that were wrong that weren't my fault. And uh, one of my really good friends, Tina, uh, I remember complaining that there was a bunch of people saying shit about me. And she was like, are they all saying the same thing? I'm like, yeah, fuck them. And she's like, do they know each other? I was like, no, they don't. Fuck them. And she was like, so there's couple groups of people talking shit about you. They don't know each other and they're all sort of saying the same thing. And she was like, I was like, yeah. And she's like, uh, do you ever think it might be you? Cause they don't know each other and how they yeah. know to say the same thing. And I was like, Oh, fuck you as well. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, Oh shit, she's right. And there's that great, uh, I don't know if you watched a TV show called justified. Um, it's like a modern Western sort of thing about a marshal and yep, his yep. boss, with, him, uh, like, what's, know, what's his name, Goggins? Waylon, uh, whoever it is, yeah, I don't yeah. know what I mean, yep. But it's like his boss says to him, you know, if you meet an arsehole in the morning, you met an arsehole. If you meet arseholes all day, you're the arsehole. You're the arsehole, yep. Yeah, and I've really tried to take that on board and go, okay, don't be the arsehole, you know. Yeah. Um, I've tried to take on a lot less responsibilities in my life. That way I don't let so many people down if something goes wrong. Um, but, yeah, p- p- people will say that. They'll meet Mike, meet X person, whoever, famous person, not famous person, whoever. And they're going to go, okay, I'm going to base my judgment of your entire life, everything you do, your moral compass, your desires, your loves, your hopes, your dreams, right on this millisecond right now. And that's what we forget a lot with people when we get angry at them, that kind of like every person wants stuff. You know, they want to be loved. They want to create something. They want to leave legacy on the planet. They want to achieve things in their life. They want to feel worthwhile. And so sometimes if you're not having the best day, it's just a little bit easier. And Australia does this terribly. Like if you're having a bad day, the easiest way to have a better day is to make someone else feel shit. Yeah. And I've always disliked that, you know? Uh, yeah. And, and especially with knockbacks because like if people go, oh, they're fucking sellouts. I'm like, I'm sorry. They own all their own publishing. They own their own record label. Like, what? What part of DIY is that not? No, that's you know, yeah, that's they tour right. they tour the world with the most minuscule crew for a band that big. Like, it was only about five years ago that Kent, who was their manager and their sound guy and their tour manager at the time, where they actually got a tour manager as well, Steve. Like, you know, yep. they, they, they like you know. Limo, one of the stage guys, plays keyboards. Well, did play keyboards for them live. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Wilkie, who sells their merch, also does their lights. So that you know, he'll sell merch for the whole show, but 
but then when they're going to play, he'll get a local person just to do the t-shirts while he's doing lights. Just you know, out. like yeah. they're so DIY in that aspect. That's why they've survived and done so well. And so I'm always curious when people call them sellouts. I'm like, that's just the exact opposite of that. It's a band who has not only had control of everything, but when they've lost something, like you know, even when they signed Epitaph and stuff, like they get their records back, they own their masters. Yeah, they it's everything is theirs. So it's it's the least sellout I could possibly imagine. And I think sometimes people confuse sellout with commercial success. Yeah, I I often but, think um, especially with no effects and look, you know, I'm a die in the wall no effects fanboy. Like love everything mm. they've done. Mm. You know, and like all the modern stuff, like just as much as punk Absolutely. and you know white trash. But um, I think I often think that when something you know dumb things have been said, and there's no excusing that, you know apologies have been made. But I often think the people who scream the loudest about it are often the ones who don't actually know, like what what actually is going on and just use that. Are you talking about the, the, the Las Vegas comments? Yeah, that, yeah, well, I mean. I was, I, was, I was amazed by the fact, I was like, wow, that's the thing they get offended by? Yeah. Like one of the least offensive things I've ever said. The funny thing I, I thought was, was hilarious was on a lot of social media stuff where people are like, I'm a huge NoFX fan, I've got every release, blah, 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 I'm selling everything I own. Then dudes were just like, here's my email address, tell me what you got, I'll yeah. buy it off you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. here's my Discogs, let me know what I don't have, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's hilarious. It's, I mean, you know, like, uh, yeah, s- stuff's happened and I'm not going to defend what's been said or because it's not my job to. But mm. again, like I often, yeah, you hear people say, oh, you're sellouts and stuff. And it's like, well, what have you been paying attention to? Like, Yeah. What band know, have you been listening to? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's not it, – people are old with no and, effects specifically. Uh, and even that that thing with Fat Records, that not a single band is ever signed to Fat with a contract. They're yeah. all handshake deals that are honoured. They pay their royalties on time. They pay everything properly. If you don't want to record again, cool. Go to yeah. another record label. The, um, the greatest story about like the when they signed Pairs, Fat Mike wrote on a on a napkin like, "We will release your next record, and if you want to do the next one with us, you can. And if we don't want to do it with you, we won't." Something as simple as that, like on a napkin, and just said, "Here's your contract." Yeah, there's your agreement. Yeah. Who was it? Was it against me? Who? No, it wasn't against me. It was propaganda. Who sat with, with Fat, bagged the shit out of Mike, left Fat, and then came back because no one else was giving them as good a deal. Yeah, they realised how good a deal they got. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah, Mike was like, Mike let them talk shit about him on an album that he released on his own label. Yeah. And dealt with it. Just yeah. you know. Fair enough. If that's what you think. Yeah. Yep. Far be it from him to stop him. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. We could talk about no effects. Let's talk about some music, but like, what are you listening to? What do you, you, you know, we've got a lot of songs and I might just have to go back and throw songs in. Okay. What very I'll, quickly. If I'm, I'm choosing one no effects song though. Yeah. Go for it. It's my job to keep punk rock elite. Dude. Dude. Like my, my hands, all, go on. My all time favorite lyric. That uh, apparently I've alienated. So, uh, apparently I've alienated some. Seems like jobs half done. Yeah. 
like favorite song off my favorite no effects song off my favorite no effects album just unbelievable yeah uh yeah just just such an incredible song what else am i listening to at the moment um i'm listening to a lot of mogwai uh about a year ago i moved up to a place called mount nebo it's up on a mountain outside of brisbane it's a weird little like 1970s town with no we don't have a mailbox mail doesn't get delivered to our house we don't have a rubbish bin you have to take your rubbish to a tip still okay um there's no pub on the first Friday of every month. They license the local town hall for pub night. It's a lot of misty mornings driving down from the mountain. And I've been trying to, again, slow down the brain a little bit. So I just listen to a lot of Mogwai every morning, just instrumental tracks. Um, I listen to High Tension a lot. They're a band that's really just blown me away, just like how fucking good they are. Um, uh, another band that I like a lot is called Ilva from Melbourne, okay. uh, which is uh, uh, YLVA, which is a, a oh Brett, yes, Brett yeah, from Black yes. Black Level Embassy, and 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 they're again super uh, heavy and super just atmospheric. And uh, one album I just listened to again for the first time in ages was Oh Calcutta by Lawrence Arms, which I fucking adore that album. Fantastic um, album. And um, I just put a post on Instagram the other day about it. I actually have lyrics from the album tattooed on, on my on my side and uh, I put in the post that it's like um, I wouldn't say it's punk rock saved my life but it got me through some situations yeah <laughs> and that, al- that album was a, a, a blessing for me um, in, in some really uh, mentally difficult times that I had um, I've been trying to listen to more podcasts uh, and like I have an hour drive to and from work every day. Yep. Um, what are you doing for work? Uh, I do peer support work. Okay. So I work for a company and um, I, I work just with one young guy. He's 28 years old. Um, he's been homeless since he was 13. Um, he has spent the last two years of his life locked down in a psych ward because there's been no one else to take responsibility for him. Um, so the company I work for um, has transitioned him out of that and got him a house by himself, uh, 24-hour care. So he's a carer with him at all times. Um, got him working again, got him sort of developing a better life for himself. Um, so it's a pretty interesting job because like, I have no qualifications and that's actually what the company wants. They don't want people with degrees or anything. They want people that have fucked stuff up and got through it. Yeah. And so the description of the job given to me basically was it's my job to help him develop a better toolkit for himself. Um, so I work five days a week with him. So, but you're not you're not a you don't stay overnight with him as a carer. I have and I do, okay. but no, I've I've got pre. I, I kind of um my main function, I guess, is to motivate him to work and yeah. keep him. Mo- Actually, he motivates himself to work. My job is to help keep him motivated. Um, so he sells the Big Issue magazine and he does a yep. really, fu- really fucking good job of it. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I just kind of um, hang out with him Monday yeah. to Friday. Um, and then I have another small business where I have vintage arcade machines out on sites. Um, and that's that's kind of all I do. I try and not – normally I've got like – 
five balls that I'm juggling and I constantly drop three to four of them. So I've been trying to juggle less balls metaphorically. Yep. And concentrate just on on uh, doing a couple things better. Yeah. And the as the, best the, as you the can. yeah the peer support works really interesting because I'm I'm learning a lot from him as well and I'm developing a better toolkit for myself and it's um it's again his hardships don't make my hardships not relevant to me. My sorrow isn't diminished by his sorrow. My happiness isn't made different by his, but. It's definitely again just made me realise the genetic lottery I won. Of just you know, this this dude's been behind the eight ball. Like yeah, he's, he's been homeless for fifteen years. Um, staggering. He's homeless since he was thirteen years old, and he's just he's tenacious. He's like a little Jack Russell Terrier. He's amazing. Like, he's just like the, some of the shit that he's gone through, you know, and he still gets up every day and just has at it. So I'm kind of like, and again, it's that, that thing of like, man, if I don't if I don't attack life and I'm presented with so much more opportunity than this kid's had, that's, that's a disservice to him, if you know what I mean. Like, fuck me if I'm not going to go and try and do more stuff. Yeah, like it's – that's so powerful. Mm. Um. So I've been trying to like on my drive and trying to like not necessarily start my day listening to punk rock or because trying to keep the cortisol levels down a little maybe. So I listen to a little bit of slower instrumental music in the mornings yep. um, and try and listen to podcasts on the way home. And then sometimes uh, I'm kind of stuck. I'm still listening to the same band that I was when I was 15 years old, like – like weekly listening to Dinosaur Jr., you know, Suicidal Tendencies, No Effects, The Lemonheads, you know, Sonic Youth. Like the 90s were a pretty pivotal musical time for me and a lot of my soundtrack is still the same for that. Yeah. I try and listen to new music. Um, I'm a bit of, you know, fucking Grandpa Simpson sometimes and a lot of it makes sense to me. The, the, the last sort of, and again, they're not a new band anymore, but the Bronx was that, that band that, that really just kicked the living shit out of me live and kind of made me go, oh, wait, there is new. This is like 10 years ago, I guess now, but, you know, there is. Yeah. Isn't that terrible? I'm talking about 10 years ago being new music. That gives you an idea of what I'm listening to. It's um, it's one of those things like <coughs> like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, three years ago, It's it all feels the same. Yeah. yeah. Especially as you get older, it gets more the same. Yeah. Um, again, I don't have a lot of real-life friends and I know a lot of music. Like I, I've got a very good general knowledge of music. I can talk about a lot of bands, but my friends' circle of bands and my, my, my friends, not my people I know in bands, but my friends that are records and bands um, is a small circle that I love dearly. Yeah. Um, I don't really – I can't think of anything else. Um, Natalie, the, the amazing woman that I'm dating, she has introduced me to a lot of, I guess, heavier stuff that missed my radar a little bit, stuff like – Isis and Neurosis and um, I've been listening to a lot of Pelican actually as well. I really like Pelican. Again, okay. mostly mostly instrumental. Um, so because this was a really um, – because this was a really non-traditional My Age podcast podcast, I'm going to splice songs throughout this episode because there was a lot of talking, like which is fantastic. Is that okay with you if I just drop in like – Songs you do whatever you, you do, whatever you please, sir. So, have you? The, the you world wanna, is your oyster. Do you want to tell me some other songs on your lists? Oh yeah, uh, Dinosaur Junior. Yep. 
um, probably that's probably my other most influential band just in terms of guitar sound yeah. and the, the freneticism of it. Jay Mascus was also a really interesting guitarist in that era because he was kind of probably one of the the first, in inverted commas, like indie guitar or grunge guitarist where he's kind of like, that dude's actually got some, he's got some sweet chops. Yeah, he's sweet chops, <laughs> yeah. Um, and because he was the original like drummer turned guitarist. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Descendants, I had Descendants and a Body Jar song because 
Cam, just, I, I heard the Descendants for the first time was Body Jar covering Coolidge. Okay. Because um, uh, the band I was in in the 90s called the Melnicks, we was oddly, like we were not like a pop punk band, like an, just an indie rock band basically, but yeah. we were signed to Shagpile Records. So it was like us, yep. Friends of Rom, Cosmic Psychos, Front End Loader and Body Jar. Body Jar so we were yeah. kind of this real stable made of that. And I remember like, yeah, we – Played a lot of shows with all those bands, and um, and that that riff in Coolidge is just insane. Yeah. There's nothing funny than hearing an American saying body jar. <laughs> You're right. Uh, what, what would you go I, with? Ooh, windsock. Oh, I dude. think. Hold on. Hold on a sec. First song on Rimshot? Yeah. Yep. Hold on a sec. Yeah, windsock.
Yeah, absolutely. Um, was that Ross drumming then? I think it was. Sorry? Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And his head would always bubble around like crazy. Yeah. He was fucking amazing. And I'm sure still is, but when he was in that band, he was fucking amazing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I thought of another song that inspires me a great deal is uh, West Y by Vale. Yeah, so I had a feeling this was going to come up. Yeah. So yeah, what is no, it? That, well, yeah, go on. It, the, the song itself I love. Yeah. Vale I love. Yep. Um, oh, so th- I, the first time I ever saw you without knowing it was you was in the um, the High Seas film clip. Oh, yeah, Screen Feeder. By yeah, Screen nice. Feeder. Yeah, on that outside the 7-Eleven. Yeah, nice. I'm going to yep. get a Screen Feeder tattoo soon, I think. Amazing. From that, from, from that song. Because in that clip, um, I got a friend that I'm not friends with anymore that I had a bad falling out with. And uh, one, of my, one of my best friends, Steph, who took his own life a couple of years ago, is in that clip as well. So it's like, okay. ah, it's, it's nice. So I'm going to get that uh, smiling stars and musical notes. I can't read either. On high seas, I navigate by neither. I really like that line. That's so Tim, good. Tim, yeah. Tim's, a, Tim's a good lyricist. Um, so yeah, Vale West Y. I love the song. Sidetrack could be the Messaged the singer from the Vale when I was working the motorbike store and said, "Is it cool if I put your lyrics on my business card?" And it's totally cool with that. So I had like ride fast, live slow, live without slow. regret. Yep, I love that. And so I've been trying to do a lot more: ride fast, live slow, without regret. That's fantastic. That's the perfect place to wrap the podcast up. I was just about to say that. Yeah, <laughs> let's. I will. I will end it with that. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. Awesome, dude. Thank you so much for the chat. That was. Dude. A, that was a solid two and a half hours. Yeah, absolutely it was. And I loved every fucking second of it. Take that, Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you, Joe Rogan experience. We'll take you on, don't you worry. Hey, but honestly, thank you so much. Like, I'm stoked. 
I'm stoked we get to do this. I'm stoked it's been so long in the making to do. Yeah, and we should actually just talk more often on the phone for this long anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things I always like about Joe Rogan talking about that. He's always like, the reason he loves doing his podcast is he gives him an excuse to just sit down and actually talk uninterrupted. The other thing I love is talking to people who you think you know someone well, but then when you actually sit down and talk to them, like, you know, we're, we're creeping on three hours now, mm. you sit down and talk to them and go, I had no idea. Mm, like, absolutely, dude, because we, we, we talk in short bursts now. Yeah. Yep. In 140 characters. Yeah, look, mate, I fucking, you know, you've you've got a fan in me. Like, uh, bless you, right back yeah. at you, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, um, have a great Sunday. You too, sir. I'm going to go blacksmithing tomorrow and eat some meat, drink some beer and make knives. Do work. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's have a good one, sir. Talk soon. What an episode, chock full of hits, dramas, stories, tales of yonder. Um, again, thanks for listening. Thanks for making it all the way through, by the way, because, you know, they, these episodes have been getting really long because people have got shit to say. People have got interesting stories. Um, thank you for Cody and Nicole for letting me do this. Nicole probably will. Well, no, she won't listen to this episode, but if you get, get, but, uh, if you get this far into the episode... And you converse with Nicole, just drop a little message and say, hey, Johnson, you should listen, because, you know, he's doing an okay job. Or insert whatever um, rating you feel is, you know, okay might be overstating it, might be understating it, but, you know, chuck in whatever uh, review of the job I'm doing in the message to Nicole. Um, again, if you think this episode's worth a buck or, or what I'm doing is worth a buck or, or more, whatever, um, paypal.me slash myagepodcast. Uh, always appreciated, never expected. And until the next episode, um, yeah, take it easy, stay safe, be beautiful. Cheers. Everybody knows that you really do. Everybody knows that you've been faithful. Everybody knows you've been discreet But there were so many people you just had to meet Without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it Everybody knows the deal is rotten, old black 
Ever. 